It is the 200 level episode 100, the 100th episode spectacular. An arbitrary milestone, but a milestone nonetheless. We started this relaunch back in August, episode 36, and what was a once a week podcast during football season and really through 2019 has turned into a two to three episodes per week sort of thing. And you know, when you got this much free time, and I got a basement studio. It's been a lot of fun to pop down here and really kind of branch out what we talk about, sort of out of necessity more than anything, because there has been an absence of live sports. So what do we talk about here in the 200 level? Well, we're spreading out a little bit, and I've enjoyed that and appreciate your patience as we've started to hit on new topics and issues throughout the last few months. But at its core, we still have a sports podcast, and today it is going to be that intersection of sports and COVID-19, because unfortunately here on July 6th, and I wish for them 100th episode, we could have been doing Dare to Dream or Major League Baseball division races. What will those look like? Instead, we are in a very tenuous position in terms of sports coming back in the first place. And we see today, Harvard is moving to online only classes for the fall. No on-campus anything that would in all likelihood, include sports. And the Ivy League apparently will be coming out later this week. And the idea is that they will announce that, no, there will not be any sports. They'll be postponed until the spring at the earliest. Rutgers, they are not going to have any on-campus activities for fall of 2020. And again, I would presume that includes football games at whatever that stadium is called. So this is not, unfortunately, the positive episode I would like to have brought you in terms of sports coming back and getting back to some sort of normalcy, because quite frankly, we are not in a place to do that. And I say we, the country, United States of America, we aren't there. We've kind of blown it. And instead of any second wave or end of a first wave to begin with, we're kind of just riding that first wave to greater and greater heights. And unfortunately, that will probably have an impact on the things that we really looked forward to returning. And I know for you listeners and for myself included, sports are a big signifier of that, that if we have division races to look forward to, if we have a football season and Dare to Dream segments to talk about, even tongue in cheek, it's a lot more fun than talking about the absence of sports. I'll be completely honest. So today, I decided I would get all the old co-hosts of the 200 level on the podcast. Isaac Ambrose will be first. Steve Breitweiser, co-host Emeritus, will be second. And we're going to close out with a great conversation I had with Harry Black and Trevor Valise. And that one specifically focused on Illinois football and college football and will they, won't they, or more to the point, how can they at this point? And it's amazing how quick all this information moves. And in talking with Isaac in just a bit, and then, of course, Steve Breitweiser in a little bit as well, that will be the focus of the conversation is, you know, how bad do we want sports to come back? Clearly, we want it bad. I do. You do. We're chomping at the bit to watch live sports, as we saw with the basketball tournament and the House of Pain with a very impressive showing on the 4th of July. And that was a lot of fun. Let's be honest, seeing Andres Feliz drive to the rim, just like we saw back in March and seeing Malcolm Hill, 30 pounds lighter, but balling out there, seeing Michael Finke's doppelganger, Mike Dom, dominate, which Harry Black came up with that pun. So you can thank him for that. But yeah, it was fun to watch live sports, listen to Dan Dockage on the color. I mean, who would have thought that, right? And unfortunately, it just seems more and more likely that we're going to have a fall without college football for starters. And potentially, we're going to see professional sports get affected as well. Now, that preamble is not the most positive preamble for a 100th episode spectacular, which we are stuffed to the gills. We're looking at like a two and a half hour episode when all is said and done. But before we get into Isaac Ambrose, Steve Breitweiser, Trevor Valise, Harry Black, all of them, we can talk to everybody. 
Got to remind you that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. Online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com. You can get a custom zone with any topping that you would want in your delicious calzone, plus the dipping sauce, of course. Or you can get one of their signature zones, like a Maui Wowie, a buffer zone. And best of all, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so you don't even need to leave your house and go out in this ridiculous heat and humidity. They will bring a steaming hot calzone to the comfort of your air-conditioned home or apartment. dpdo.com. Also, 4th and Kirby, online at 4th and And speaking of hot weather and hot deals, I'm just kidding. I did not mean to say something as lame as hot deals. But 4th and Kirby has them, and you can use coupon code 200LEVEL to get 10% off your order. That's coupon code 200LEVEL or the 200LEVEL for 10% off your order. And 365 days a year, you can couple that coupon code with buy two shirts, get one free. And let me tell you from experience, these are high-quality, vintage-inspired Illini t-shirts. Great for hot weather. That's 4thandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. BrianIsMyGuy.com for life, auto, home, business, renters, whatever kind of insurance you're looking into, that's a great resource first to start online. And also keep in mind that all the representatives at Brian's office, local products, we're talking Champaign-Urbana, so they are not only insurance experts, but they have your local interest at heart. That is State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at BrianIsMyGuy.com. Of course, need to thank Alani Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network for being partners of the 200 level since we got... The relaunch started in August 2019. So before we get into everything going on with sports and the possibility that we won't get sports, I'm going to save that negativity for just a bit. Negativity, more more like realistic, unfortunately, but let's focus on the positives here for a second, and that would be the fact that we've made it to 100 episodes, 35 of which came back in 2017 and 18 with Steve Breitweiser back at 93.5, and that was a Monday evening show that we did in the Lovey Smith tail end of the John Gross era, and it was an offshoot of College Game Day Live, which we did that from 2013 to 2016, and that was a Saturday morning home game Saturdays show from like 8 to 10.30 on 93.5 as well. And what Steve and I noticed over time was that we were going longer and longer in terms of segments. What started off as a very structured show, all right, 8 o'clock we start, 8.15 we hit the first break, all of that, quickly evolved into a show where we would have two segments an hour. The first one tended to go, let's say, 35 minutes, quick break, come back for another 20. And as someone that increasingly listened to podcasts, it became apparent that essentially we were doing a podcast just on the air hitting the ad breaks when we needed to, but really taking these segments into longer, drawn-out conversations. And what I have always liked about longer conversations, as opposed to the kind of quick hitter that you get on radio, is that you can hit the nuance of things. And I, I know for sure that you can take it too far and maybe become repetitive. And God knows I've probably done that before. But you can hit nuances in conversations by not having to hit a clock or not having to hit an ad break at a specific time. And we had some freedom and kudos to 93.5 for letting us just sort of make our own show and come up with our own vibe with very little involvement or telling us what to do or how to do it. So that freedom allowed us to experiment a bit and it led to the 200 level when we decided that really waking up early on Saturday mornings for a crap football team and getting into the November games where you'd be freezing your butt off outside and thinking, why? Why are we doing this? We moved it to a Monday night show. The 200 level, and I believe Steve came up with that name in the first place, the idea was that we are the common fan, the average Joe. We can't afford the 100 level tickets. We aren't part of the loyalty circle or any of that higher echelon donors. No, we aren't that. We are the common fan. 
And I love the name, and I got to give Steve credit for that because it's stuck, and it resonates. It has that local connection with Illini fans that go to State Farm Center and Memorial Stadium, but it also seems to, uh, I think, personify the kind of conversations that we have on here. The, the conversations I know are being had in bars or in garages now that you can't really go inside of a bar. You're probably having buddies over and sitting in a garage and talking about these same sorts of things. So we fostered early on with College Game Day Live and into the 200 level a very conversational approach. Certainly Tay and Carp adopted that as well. And as we got into the relaunch of the 200 level, the reason that I decided to keep going with it in the first place, to be quite honest, is I didn't want to stop doing radio slash podcasting. I felt like I needed to do something to stay sharp. And initially it was, well, just do this until you get a terrestrial radio gig again, whatever that would be. And unfortunately, in Champaign-Urbana, those options are becoming more and more limited as we see a guy like Steve Holstein from Wixie out of a job. Doesn't make any sense. And if he can lose a job, I don't know how I'm going to go out there and find one at a terrestrial radio station in Champaign-Urbana. But the beauty of podcasting is that you can reach a wide audience, and we've been able to do that. A lot of the people that came over from 93.5 certainly but some growth, especially during, let's see, December, January, February, when we had that run from Illinois, let's say actually November through February, when they won the four games in a row in football, and then into the winning streak that Brad Underwood's team had, and the valleys in between, like the loss to Missouri in the Bragg and Rights game, the Red Box Bowl. Remember that? My God. And we really sort of got our footing in those four months and have been able to kind of carry that wave over into a non-sports stretch of time from March, mid-March, I guess, to now. Coming up on four months, a third of the year. No real live sports to talk about. And don't worry, we'll get to the basketball tournament in just a bit. And yet we've been able to keep going and put them out at a fairly high frequency. The reason that the 200 level is going on and will continue to go on for as long as I'm around is that it is one way to have honest conversation about Illinois sports without any sort of filter. And I think that we've done a decent job of that so far. And I got to think Harry and Trevor and Isaac, Steve, when he hops on, any guests too that are willing to do these longer conversations for adding to that discussion and making it possible to kind of stretch out these things that normally on a radio show would be cut short due to time or maybe even a worst case scenario not talked about because you didn't want to say certain things depending on programming, directives and such. No such worries of that here. But the other reason I'm doing it, and it's been all the more apparent the last three, four months of this year, is an outlet, a much needed outlet. And I think everybody needs an outlet during this time or any time for that matter, but especially as we are homebound, or at least more homebound than we used to be. And getting out and seeing friends has become more of an event than a normal routine thing to do. And With podcasting, the ones that I listen to, and even the one that I do here, I hope that I've been able to help foster a sense of community. And that might sound a very kind of lofty, Pollyanna, optimistic view of things, but I think that the best sorts of podcasts and radio shows tend to do that, where you listen to it whenever the new episode comes out. It's something that you do when you're at work in the office, when you're driving to and from work, when you're just chilling at home or doing yard work, whatever it may be. And in those moments, when you're listening to a podcast... It is essentially a conversation. You're listening to what the other person's saying. 
You can communicate with them through Twitter, through reviews, any sort of number of ways that you can reach out to the person actually doing the podcast. And we've had a lot of people giving us feedback, positive or negative. And we'll take either one. We'll take the one-star review or the five-star review. I like any sort of review. But yeah, there is something very cool and immediate about first radio, but now even more so podcasting and the fact that it can be delivered to your phone instantaneously. And I know that there is something to be said about a podcast, especially sports, where I could release this and it's going to be coming out on Tuesday morning. And unfortunately, it may be dated by then. There may be some big sort of news thing that comes out and all of a sudden this opening segment is null and void. And we've had that happen before. Even one case where we got the news that IO actually didn't tear any ligaments. It wasn't anything that serious. And I had to completely scrap a 30-minute opening segment and just redo it again. And trust me, I was happy to redo it because the original one was really dark and depressing. And then all of a sudden, there was a ray of hope when we heard that Io was not significantly injured. But all that said, I am appreciative of the fact that I'm able to do this, that there is an audience that cares to listen, an audience that listens fairly regularly. And that is something I don't take for granted. Even more so because we have kind of changed things. What started as a once-a-week podcast that just focused on the previous football game, the football game coming up, and was very micro to an extent, more so than I'm used to. Micro in terms of what we saw and what's coming up next. We're going to be doing that when sports return. But what we have added out of necessity, out of top of mind awareness of what's going on in the world, the racial discussions, social discussions, sports are going to find their way into these discussions more and more, and we aren't going to shy away from those. So for those who have stuck around and shown some patience as we maybe clumsily find our way through these topics, I appreciate that. I really do, because I would never profess to be an expert in any of these fields. I think that the way that I work out most issues is talking through them, more so than writing. I got my degree in journalism, but from the get-go, it was always more about talking behind a microphone, stream of consciousness, working my way through things. And that's what we've tried to do. And one great help in terms of finding your way through these conversations has been the people we've had on this last month from Carrie Davis to Antonio Adams, Shannon Ryan, a great conversation we had with her. We have more people coming up too that I'm really excited about, including later this week, a conversation with the University of Illinois professor that researched and found that potentially three to seven football players would die if they had a college football season as normal this fall. We're going to talk to him about the methodology behind that, how he conducted this study, all the variables, and it's going to be as sciencey as we'll ever get on the 200 level, but it's still sports. And if anything, I think that I've learned myself, it is difficult to separate sports from many other things going on in the world. I think that even I fell into that trap of sports is merely a diversion. It's there for my entertainment. And when I did that, I lost the ability to personalize or feel maybe empathy for those that were on the court or on the field. They were merely athletes that I watched for my enjoyment. But at the end of the day, these athletes are human beings. They are being affected by the pandemic. Many of these black athletes, they feel what's going on with this racial discussion far more than I could ever imagine. And I feel as if the last three months from the pandemic now to what's going on with the racial discussions in this country, it has just simply forced me to confront some things that I was probably oblivious towards earlier. And again, clumsy is the word I would use to describe me trying to navigate these waters. I know that I have probably been clumsy before. But it is something that has, I think, 
added to my perspective, one that was probably a little bit narrow. Now, the 200 level did not get to this place without some help. And first, I need to thank Steve Breitweiser for really informing this sort of analytical, critical approach that we took from College Game Day Live and brought into the 200 level first on the air and then now through podcast. And he had tasked me back in August with making sure that I held accountable those that needed to be held accountable, which sounds maybe a little bit serious for a sports show. But in this community, in Champaign-Urbana, East Central Illinois, if you want to go broader, there are not a lot of outlets that do hold the DIA accountable for whether it be inaction or incompetence or a lack of transparency, that sort of thing. There are some, but not enough. So that was the first thing he tasked me with back in August. We've tried our best to do that without getting you know, personal. And I'm sure that I've failed at that once or twice. But for the most part, we try to be fair in our criticisms. And when we need to be critical, that's what we're going to be. It is very difficult for me and damn near impossible, I think, to flip on the mic and be disingenuous and say, you know, I think everything's fine if I actually don't think things are fine. And that stems a lot from Steve sort of pushing the mantra of this show from the get-go when we were back on 93.5. We've tried to carry that on into these last, I guess, 64 episodes. Harry and Trevor, the fact that they were immediately on board to hop on when we started this back in August, and those were two guys that came through the doors at 93.5 and immediately showed all of us that they were capable of being on the air for one, but also being great producers and the kinds of personalities that will be in sports media in some way, shape, or form for the rest of their lives. Harry Black, from the outset, walking in in a suit, of course, very professional-like, and I think I told him, yeah, you don't need to worry about wearing a suit. It's radio. That's the beauty of it. After that, he mostly wore athletic shorts and t-shirts. One of the funniest people I know, and I think I have no filter, he is that to the max. And it is something that I respect and envy in a lot of ways, his ability to be brutally honest. And there are certain things that he can get away with because he just has this unwillingness to accept BS at any level. I envy that because there are so many times in my life, sort of like George Costanza in that Seinfeld episode where he wishes he would have had the insult, uh, the jerk store called and they ran out of you. Well, I've never really had that moment. And Harry, I don't know if he's ever said anything insulting to anybody to their face, but he will let you know if he doesn't like you. And I will say from my own experience at the radio station, none of his distaste for individuals was unwarranted. In fact, the people that drew Harry Black's ire, they all deserved it from what I saw and what I observed. And I appreciate that he is A-OK with letting them know about it. And he is a great dude who don't let that um, sort of steel facade fool you. He is a, a great dude with a big heart and also just the kind of personality that there's no one else in my life I could point to and say, they remind me of Harry Black. Because there truly is one Harry Black, and we're lucky to have him on the 200 level when we do. Trevor Valise, he walks in the door, and immediately, he's I think he's 19 years old at that point, acted like he was 25, seasoned veteran, again at 19. He just was a pro from the start, and one of the sneaky, funniest people you'll meet, too. That's a very underrated attribute with uh, Trevor, because I think that the way that he is able to deliver things so even-keeled, it can get mistaken for... You know, he's either indifferent or maybe distant from certain things. I, I Don't let that fool you. Razor sharp wit, extremely smart, 
and the kind of radio personality that could fit in anywhere. But here's the thing, and he's so good at this. He can be very critical about things and yet somehow deliver it in a way that will reach the most listeners without tuning them out. Here's what I mean by that. I could say something very critical, and maybe it's the tone, the way I say it. Some people are like, ah, shut up, Carp. He has a way to deliver the same scathing indictment of something, but do it in a way that people's ears are open, they're ready to listen, they trust him. And that's an important quality for any radio personality is that you trust that what they're saying is coming from a place of either well-researched ideas or a, a very sound, logical mind. And he's got all those things. So for Harry and for Trevor, for Steve Breitweiser, and then this would have been in early January, Isaac Ambrose, who was another 93.5 intern that immediately stood out and was our good luck charm. Because if you think about this, before Isaac joined the show, Illinois basketball was floundering. The Red Box Bowl was the Red Box Bowl. Isaac comes on the show, and I think the first one he did, or at least the second one, Illinois beats Purdue at Purdue. I think that might have been one of our live broadcasts. And that was sort of how January and February and early March went. He was a fixture on this show for the most fun stretch in terms of the success that we were able to cover, often live, including the infamous podcast during the Michigan game where Io hits the game winner. Trevor knew it, by the way. Trevor knew and gave me a little nod, so I knew right before that something good was going to happen, and Isaac had a reaction for the ages, and you can find that. I think it's Maze and Wu was that episode back in February. But a great kid who is also the kind of temperament and personality that can find his way into sports media for a long time, and when the dust settles and we can actually do in-person 200 levels here in the basement studio. I look forward to getting Trevor back in. Look forward to getting Isaac back in. Harry, he's in Connecticut, but you know what? Thanks to Zoom, we can get him on throughout football season. Well, if there is a football season. And Steve, for whenever he joins the show, is always a must-listen podcast. So for all those guys, the 200 level is not where it's at without the contributions of them. And I am very grateful for all the help and the camaraderie, too, because at the end of the day, a lot of the fun that we've had on the air, that's just a taste of the kind of conversations we can have off the air or via text. And that's, that's friendship. And that is something that you don't always get in media. It can be cutthroat, for lack of a better term. It can be uh, an industry where people can be very selfish, and understandably so, because you got to look out for number one. But for those good dudes that you meet, you hold on to that and uh, feel lucky to have that camaraderie off the air just as much as you do on it. So feeling very grateful for their contributions for the 200 level, now in its 100th episode. First guest, though, for the 100th episode, spectacular of the 200 level, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, the good luck charm of this podcast, reason being that before you joined, Isaac, we were looking at a basketball team that had just lost in the Bragg and Rights game. We were looking at a football team that had lost in rather ho-hum fashion in the Red Box Bowl, and I wasn't really sure where things were going. Then you arrive, Illinois basketball finishes second in the Big Ten, albeit no NCAA tournament for reasons outside of their control. And I don't know if we really talked back in January before that crazy run, but when, when January 1st hit, where were you in terms of feeling feelings about Illinois basketball? Because I, I know before you hopped on the show, I wasn't feeling good, but you strike me as someone that's a little bit more optimistic than I am. Yeah, so I've never thought of myself as lucky at all being in born as an Illinois fan, I didn't have much choice. So the fact that I'm apparently a good luck charm uh, 
is probably a little bit of relief after all the pain that I've endured the past 22 years. But um, yeah, I remember January 1st. So that would have been right after the bragging rights game. And I was pretty heated, ended up going back and deleting like five or six tweets from that game because I was kind of ashamed <laughs> of them. Um, but I remember saying something like, we've lost to Mizzou, who's not a tournament team. We were down 27 to Miami in the first half, who's definitely not a tournament team. And yes, we beat Michigan, but they were clearly not the number four team in the nation mm-hmm. at the time, even though we beat them. Um, and then at the bottom, I just put, right now, Illinois is not a tournament team or something like that. And yeah, at the turn of the year, I was, I was pretty frustrated because this was supposed to be the year that, you know, IO brought us back and Brad put everything together. And after games like the Arizona game where we ended up getting pummeled and then some of the other rough starts, we couldn't put 40 minutes together. And then everything just pretty much started clicking besides a couple games in 2020. I mean, it was, it was an awesome second part of the season. So the fact that they got this far and then they were the definition of a tournament team because we started off kind of bumpy, but you knew there was potential and they were playing their best basketball come March. And that's what all of Izzo's great teams do. All the teams besides like the Dukes and the Kentuckys that go far in the tournament, that's what they do. They turn it on come March and they get better throughout the season. So it made it even more rough to not, not see March Madness. Yeah, Dan Dockich was heaping praise on Brad Underwood doing the basketball tournament on Saturday. And we'll get to that in a second. But for that run in January and February, and even up to March 8th for the Iowa game, what was your singular moment that you're going to look back on? Because if it was impressive enough that Illinois went on that winning streak that they did. But all the more impressive was the fact that they were doing so in memorable fashion. So whether it be the Wisconsin game in Io hitting the three to go up four, the Michigan game, of course, that shot, which we were watching down here in the basement, or the Penn State game where Io comes back and you beat a top 10 team on the road, and Io again with the dagger. And then you go to the Iowa game with Kofi getting the block. So it's if, if there is a singular image that you're going to take away from that season, what would it be? Okay, Carp, I know the easy one is to say the image in my head of Io, you know, hitting the shot at Michigan. That would be the obvious one. Yeah, That would be the obvious one. But for me, going to a lot of Illinois games growing up and now, and I I used to live in Michigan, so it was more of a a big deal when we would come down and go to a basketball game. It was never really that full. And most of the time they lost when I came down growing up. So for me, I – went to the Maryland game that was sold out with Scott Van Pelt. And I think seeing State Farm Center just completely bumping, even though we ended up losing, and the fact that you had to wait, it was freezing. And we had to wait for like 10 or 15 minutes in line outside the stadium because everybody was rushing to get into the game. I think seeing State Farm Center on a Friday night just going absolutely berserk and then how well we played in the first half, just feeling that atmosphere that you kind of dream of feeling like what – a Duke or a Kentucky or a Kansas, they feel all the time. I think that in the Michigan State environment, those are going to stick in my head. Um, just being a part of such an awesome experience that you can't get everywhere you go. And it was so awesome to have it be in Champaign too, where it's been so dead for so long. And people have – it's always been a basketball school. It probably always will be. But to actually see the entire – 
community just packing out State Farm Center. I mean, I know you've been a fan longer than me. That was probably the first time in forever where it's like you couldn't get your hand on tickets. Oh, yeah. It was the first time that there were a string of sellouts in a row like that, probably since 2005 or maybe, you know, 2009, 2010. There was a little stretch there. But uh, certainly that atmosphere for both of those games was something I hadn't felt in a long time. And for me, certainly the disappointment of the second half of the Maryland game and the Michigan State game, the disappointment of the first half. The second half was phenomenal before Io got hurt and he just barely lost. But that Iowa game seemed to be the culmination and kind of an exercising of the demons in a lot of ways. It was the perfect cap on that season, regardless of no NCAA tournament appearance, of course, because you had Illinois returning throughout the season back to their rightful place in the top five, top four of the Big Ten. And you do that against your rival on March 8th in an environment that I take the first half of Maryland, I take the second half of Michigan State, and they have a baby, and that's the full Iowa game. It was it was just a perfect culmination and cap on what was a remarkable season. And to me, having been there, I'm biased, but that was probably the defining image was Io hitting that bucket in the last 30 seconds, of course, and then Kofi getting the block on the Big Ten Player of the Year that, yeah, Illinois is back, and I don't know when the next game is going to be, but we'll be okay. We'll be okay. That, yeah, it was a little bit of Michigan State, Maryland, and then on the road at Michigan with the way that Io hit those uh, two jump shots at the end and then those free throws. Um, yeah, what a season. I mean, I really hope he comes back. I know it's not likely, but when Brad, I saw that quote from Underwood a week or so ago that said, if Iowa comes back, they'll build him a statue. And I just kind of got goosebumps, you know, just thinking about what could be and just seeing an Iowa DeSumo statue out front with a Big Ten champ, you know, under his name or something like that. Um, just what a guy. I, I, yeah. Well, I finally, love, love him. finally, you guys have someone not named D Brown and yeah. you would have been pretty young when the D Brown thing happened. And I'm sure that you look at him like, yeah, that was great. But at the same time, you would have been what, seven, eight years old. And that's a little bit more of a fuzzy memory because you're still kind of getting into sports. And now that you get into high school, college age, right. that's probably the peak in terms of, of fan interest. And unfortunately until IO and especially this year for Illinois basketball, you and Trevor, and other, you know, guys in their early 20s didn't have that team you could latch on to. Yeah, and I'm not at all saying that Io is now on D and Darren's level whatsoever because what they did was amazing, that almost undefeated season all the way to the national championship. But hear me out, the fact that Io was able to turn, essentially turn a program around as a 19-year-old in – about 12 months. The first part of Io's freshman year was pretty ugly. We all were like, man, we should have got Taylor Horton Tucker. Yeah. And then when he started to pick it up, the fact that we saw Hope his freshman year, and then he turned that Hope into the fourth best team in the Big Ten in like 12 or 13 months as a 19-year-old is just amazing. And yeah, he had a little bit of help, but a lot of those games we won this year and last year which we didn't win many last year, but that, that, that was all IO. There wasn't much help um, in a lot of those games. So the fact that he was so young and had such a chip on his shoulder being from in state, it's just such a good story. And I think he'll, I think he'll have a soft spot in Illini fans hearts for a long time. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think if you take him out of the equation, you probably get a 500 
in conference play team. And yeah, you're, not, you're they, not making the tournament. Yeah, you weren't making the tournament. They would have been fine, all things considered. But if there's a war rating, just like there is for baseball players for someone like Io, it would be off the charts because he single-handedly won a lot of those games late. Another guy that did help was Andres Feliz. And yep. watching him on Saturday, just being the bowling ball, that he was back uh, for Illinois, just getting to the rim whenever he wanted to, seeing a a slim down but effective Malcolm Hill, seeing Mike Dom, of course, and just some of the old characters like Nana Egwu, uh, Michael Finke. I know Ray Ray Rice was going to be on the team. He's not uh, Ravante Rice, and I know that Corey Bradford, I would have loved to have seen that. But regardless, I know we were starved for sports anyways, but I thought it was a decent decent game. It's qu- The quality of basketball, I think, surprised me a little bit for the basketball tournament. Yeah, I watched a game. I was actually camping when the Illinois game was on, so I just saw highlights. But I did watch the Team Hines game with Brandon Paul um, in the evening. And it felt, I mean, pretty normal. There weren't fans, obviously. So it kind of reminded me of the battle for Atlantis in college basketball where you can't really see the fans anyway. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was really cool to see Felice and Malcolm Hill, who's probably top three or top four for me just because of what he did when I was – really becoming an Illinois fan. Um, and Felice is just such a dog. And the fact that he was able to, I mean, take a few months of off of competitive basketball and then put up 20 against dudes that have really shined. And I mean, it's essentially like an all-star team that yeah. just probably didn't make the NBA. The fact that he was able to just do that um, right away was, was really awesome. It did, it did really hurt me to see, Brandon Paul not playing with those guys just because before Io he he was probably my favorite Illini who had had somewhat success um, in my lifetime so it but yeah it was cool it was definitely a good taste of I think what's going to come when basketball comes back so it was actually more entertaining than I thought it was going to be, not going to lie. Yeah, I'm excited for Wednesday afternoon. This uh, 3 o'clock, I think, is the tip for Illinois. Or I say Illinois. House of Pain versus whoever they're playing. Yeah. And it was weird last night, too. This whole thing devolved on Twitter where Brandon Paul's team loses. He was on the team, I think, with Ethan Happ. And yeah. he kind of got a bunch of crap from Illinois fans, I guess, for not being on House of Pain. And I don't, I don't know the circumstances of it. There was a message board rumor that he... I uh, didn't want to be part of that team or something, but regardless, that's it's. It, I agree with Brandon Paul in terms of Illini in the last ten years. I look at him and Malcolm Hill as guys that if they had just Brandon Paul made two tournaments, Malcolm Hill made zero, and it's unfortunate because they're the kinds of talents that if you would put them on an early two thousands team and ask them to be the number two guy they would have excelled at that role. And they excelled as number one options anyways, but I'm just saying that they always seem to be guys that 10 years earlier would have been that much more impactful in terms of Illinois basketball history because they would have been a part of some amazing teams as opposed to teams that were clearly lacking. And you feel so bad for those guys too because they seem to really be the definition of hard workers. I mean, you never heard anything bad about Malcolm whatsoever. No. And he just was such a dog. And Brandon Paul was a dog, too. You could just tell he really wanted to win. And the fact that Malcolm was pretty much one game away from a tournament when they got upset at Rutgers um, his senior year to miss the tournament. And then Brandon, um, so close to making that Sweet 16, you know, the possibility of beating Miami was right there. So it stinks that those guys both got a miss. But like you said, yeah, those are just two of the – 
to the dogs of the 2010s, I think that will definitely always be remembered. I said in the intro segment here, Isaac, that I wished that the 100th episode spectacular was going to be able to do some dare to dream Illini football or some division <laughs> race talk in, in Major League Baseball. And unfortunately, it's amazing the difference a month makes. Because if you ask yeah. me all these same questions on June 6th, I'm saying, yeah, well, baseball, they'll figure it out. They'll be back. Yeah, college football, cases will go down. They'll find some way to get it done. And a month later, I just have more uncertainty. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm kind of feeling like I did that second full week in March when you start getting this thing's closing, that thing's closing. Oh, God, it's happening all over again. Yeah, dare to dream at this point would be like, they play a few games without fans and we somehow get to see it on TV. Like that would be, I feel like the dream best case scenario in this sense, there's just so much to figure out and it's just, it's just a lot of work and will there be fans? You're just putting people at risk. And now there's a lot of players coming out, you know, saying they're not comfortable playing and everything, which they have a thousand percent right to do. And, there's just a lot of hoops to jump through that nobody's ever attempted to jump through before. So thinking that this should be a simple process, maybe for certain universities and everything, it's not. And I know we were just saying um, a little, well, I know we're going to talk about it, but when Harvard cancels, they went ahead and canceled everything before everyone else for this fall. That's, that's not a good sign. Yeah. It seems like that's sort of the first shoe to drop. And I was talking with Harry and Trevor uh, yesterday, and it seems to me that it's really a case where someone like Josh Whitman, I understand the tough position he's in because you need to make sure that your football and basketball teams are prepared if, in fact, there are games. You need to make sure they get back on campus, all the workouts. Okay, so I understand that. But it does seem as if it will require governors or a couple of rogue athletic directors to do it first before Power 5 teams buy into that. And it's probably, as Harry Black mentioned yesterday, it probably is a situation where it's just money. They, they need the money. And there are jobs at stake. There are programs, a lot of the non-revenue programs that would probably take a hit first that all feed off of the money from football. And that's a, a scary spot, I would imagine, for most of these colleges right now. And the other thing that's so weird, Carp, is a lot of these athletic directors and coaches and everything, maybe in like Texas or Florida or New York who have been probably personally affected by this to some capacity or have seen people be affected by it. That would be hard to relay that message to the governor and the athletic director of North Dakota or like, because they haven't sure. seen it, you know, at all. And even Illinois champagne, our numbers have been pretty good. So I feel like even Josh Whitman might not be able to completely see the effects that, you know, Shaka Smart and Herm, Tom Herman and those guys at UT are, are um, able to see a lot of these players probably firsthand, maybe family member or grandparents have been affected by COVID-19. Um, so if it's going to be treated universally, it's just going to be pretty hard. And um, it'll, it'll just be a lot to figure out. There's a lot of pressure on people, but you're right. It's going to probably come down to, is it worth risking for us to make a little bit of money or should we just put the health of the entire country and all of our athletes, families and stuff above, above the, the money that we're going to make? Yeah, and that is a, a tough decision because of the jobs that would in all likelihood be lost in any athletic program. The non-revenue sports, like I mentioned, whether it be all of a sudden what women's gymnastics is on the chopping block because you didn't have a football season and those would be 
repercussions of this. And then just universities. I mean, I'm thinking you, Isaac, were, I don't want to say fortunate enough to graduate during a pandemic because you kind of had a bit of your last semester taken away from you, especially the social part. But let's say that you were entering your senior year. And you can be, you don't need to fear any sort of judgment here, okay? So you can be completely honest. And you were going back to school for one more year, and you knew that you're moving in a month from now. Are you going to plan on just kind of laying low in your apartment and not hanging out with people? Or would the temptation to kind of resume a normal social life, to me, I feel like that would be too great. It'd be hard for me as a senior in college to not do what I would normally do as a college student anyway. And, and that, might breed trouble, I think, with all those kids coming back onto campuses. Yeah, and I know I've had a lot of people say to me, kind of like, oh, like Lon, I've talked to a few times, he just says how he feels so bad for seniors that just graduated in college. But I'm starting to feel bad, too, for seniors about to go into their senior year because of, like you said, their entire senior year could be demolished. Their entire senior year could be taken out um, and all that fun stuff that comes with looking for jobs and, you know, hanging out with your friends for the last time. But yeah, it would be definitely tempting to just hang out with my friends, do normal type things. And I do think if bars and stuff stay closed, especially at U of I though, that could, um, that could either help the cause a little bit because students have less opportunity to go out or it could possibly harm the cause because you'd have more students cramming into smaller areas probably um, where they're not supposed to be. But for me, and again, since I haven't really personally been affected by it, it, w- it would be hard to completely resist temptation um, of seeing guys I know I'm not going to see for a long time that I'm such good friends with. Um, and yeah, I, I don't even really drink or go out much. So the people that tend to do that more too, I imagine it would be even harder to resist. Yeah, it's... <laughs> If that's part of your social routine, I mean, I, I'm, I know that for me, some of the more difficult things to adjust to are the social things for me are like concerts. And I had those booked on the calendar in the summer and I'll get a calendar reminder that today you would have been doing this and it sucks. So I'm thinking at age 21, 22, you know, you feel invincible and you don't really worry about getting an illness because you just kind of want to live. And do, I, I get all of it. And that's what makes it Isaac kind of an impossible situation where, especially for younger kids uh, that would be going back to campus, it would be, I find it difficult to begrudge them too much for wanting to resume life as normal. I, I, I yeah. can I can empathize with that because of the age and the social temptation that just comes with it. Can you imagine, especially freshmen, that kids that are going to be freshmen in college, being a lot of them away from their parents for the first time off on their own, They've got money in their pockets, probably. They see so many opportunities. Oh, I can go eat um, DP dough all day, every day if I want to, and sleep until noon. Little advertisement fill in there. But well you're done. telling me that those those 18-year-olds that are leaving house their house for the first time are going to be able to stay in their dorm room and social oh God, distance no. from everybody? No. Like, oh, man. It, it, it is a weird thought. I mean, we, we'll walk Rosie by the six-pack. And it's empty right now, but the plans have been released, and here's how we're going to put X amount of students per dorm. Uh, the dining halls, you're just going to go pick up your food and then just take it back to your room. 
And I'm thinking, well, what kind of existence is that? I mean, part of the whole thing with college is that it's just swarming with people and you got all these mass gatherings, whether it be in the dining hall or Huff Hall for a volleyball game or any of that sort of thing, or cams. And you take that away and I'm thinking, God, if, if I really thought about my 10 favorite things to do in college, most of them took place in environments with a crap ton of people. Yeah, and why wouldn't you just take classes online? Like, At this I know point, a, yeah. a lot of students, my mom works at a small college, a lot of students are just, instead of going off or trying to go to a big school far away, they're just like, hey, I'm going to stay home and do community college online for a year or two, get all my gen eds out of the way, and then hopefully COVID's gone in a couple of years and I can go actually experience college. At this point, it's just, would you pay all that? Would there be a discount, I guess, if you can't go to classes or use the rec center or you know, it's just, there's a lot of things to think about. If there is, it'd probably be something like, hey, you get to keep your $35 fee for the ARC. Yeah. You know, <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. But everything else is going to be online. Uh, it's it's crazy, Isaac, to think that when we probably would have last talked in, I think it was May uh, at some point, and I was more optimistic then than I am now, and I hate that. But uh, it, it just seems as if we are kind of gradually moving towards the fall without college sports and i think here's the caveat college sports and all the liability and the fact that these are student athletes the pr hit they would take if any student athlete were to die or even get seriously ill you know like oh, yeah. lungs ravaged or something because they put them on a football field or on a basketball court i don't think college sports could really recover from that professional sports do operate a little bit differently though because as we're seeing in major league baseball some of the guys can just say you know what I'm sending out too much risk. I got a baby on the way. And people, I think, tend to think, oh, well, they're professionals. They're getting paid. That's okay. At least I have I have less of a moral kind of issue with professional sports trying to resume. Yeah, you feel a lot less bad for those guys um, because they're making millions of dollars. And, and like you said, I think a couple of the leagues, if you volunteer to sit out, you still get paid part of your salary, at least, I believe so. It's not like you're completely sacrificing your paycheck. But then these college kids, I I don't think they're really completely enforcing like a bubble like they are in the NBA or these things. And what are you supposed to do? Tell an 18-year-old, hey, don't go hug your grandma or make sure to not go see your family. A lot of these kids are homesick and there's just – it is – I think it would be a lot harder to keep – like stay on top of this and keep all these kids away from family members or other people that they could put in danger too, than it would be to 30 year olds making a paycheck um, who are a lot more mature. But yeah, I think it might just be smart to take college football off and then maybe reevaluate, come closer to college basketball. I don't really know. We'll see. Um, but it, it's scary. I love college sports. So thinking about, uh, Saturdays in the fall with nothing to do is going to be pretty heartbreaking. It would suck. There, there's no doubt about it. Well, Isaac, hopefully the next time uh, we have you on, it would be, let's say, for a Dare to Dream segment, and we find yeah, out happy that, podcast. Yeah, college football figured it out, and uh, we can look forward to Illinois, Illinois State, or what? I think that's the first matchup on the yeah, schedule for September it. 3rd. So uh, hopefully that is the next conversation we can have. But I, I appreciate all the help that you uh, gave this podcast for its most successful run, that's for damn sure, with all the fun that we have with Illinois basketball. And I'm looking forward to whenever it's uh, possible to regularly get back down here in the basement, do some live podcast, all that kind of stuff, because it was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. And I thank you for letting giving me the opportunity to be on and everything. And that was definitely something I took for granted was 
sitting in your basement two, two or three feet apart from you and Trevor just <laughs> shooting the bull about Illini sports and other things going on. I mean, I would, I'd give a million dollars to just be able to sit around a group of people and talk about how bad Lovey Smith's doing or how, <laughs> you know, something else. <laughs> Uh, me too. Me took too. That, took that for granted, you know. So yeah, maybe if I'm the true good luck, then maybe we'll get some good news here pretty soon. I'm hoping so. Isaac, appreciate yeah. it, man. Take care, and I'll, I'll see you soon. Okay. Hey, Carp. See you later. Bye bye. See you, Isaac Ambrose, the good luck charm of the 200 level, joining us here in the 100th episode. Spectacular. Coming up later, we got Harry and Trevor for a segment where we focus mostly on college football because that seems to be the thing that's moving the fastest this week. One thing that we haven't gotten into in detail baseball and it seems as if the testing protocol is a little bit messy some teams including the nationals and i think the astros today both closed camp because they did not get their results over the weekend so they don't know who has it who doesn't and that does not bode well for major league baseball trying to get this thing going again this coming after a weekend where masahiro tanaka got beamed in the head from a comebacker from Giancarlo stanton at 112 miles per hour and somehow ended up with only a mild concussion so you know, I, I I so badly want sports to come back. I think baseball, we could still see it happen. Back to that whole idea, professional versus college. But you will see more guys drop out. And I don't blame any of them. Mike Trout might elect to not play this season. He's got a baby on the way. I'm hoping for the athletes that decide not to play. They are not castigated or made fun of or anything like that because these are personal decisions. And this is an unprecedented time where even I'm thinking about, okay, well, when school goes back in session, if they ask me to be there, I'll be there. But it won't be without some anxiety and some concern about what that all means. So thanks to Isaac Ambrose for hopping on here. Coming up right now, the co-host emeritus of the 200 level, the one, the only Steve Breitweiser, the man who's dry sense of humor kind of informed the show that we wanted to do all the way back in the day with college game day live into the 200 level. And he is someone that whenever he's on, I just sort of like to ask a question, sit back, let him go because he's always queued up and ready for any sort of a line. I talk and always, not often, but always brings something different to the table than any other Illini media person I've ever known. So let's get to it. It is the co-host emeritus of the 200 Level Podcast, the one and only Steve Breitweiser. Returning to the 200 Level for the 100th episode Spectacular, co-host Emeritus, Steve Breitweiser. Steve, I'm just going to come out of the gates with a question that's on everyone's mind. Will we see any college football in the fall of 2020? <laughs> Could you specify that? Because I was going to say whatever again. <sighs> I'm still optimistic. Okay. I put, put me still in the optimistic category that somehow or some way you're going to get this done. I haven't seen any of the big boys say it's not happening yet or start to get a little bit, you know, trepidatious. So, you know, there's some issues in terms of, you know, some of the California schools being all online, how that turns into athletics, you know, it remains to be seen. And then obviously with the Ivy league now, and you kind of look at some of this stuff and where it's trending, but no, I, I still think with the, the power fives, kind of, you know, being able to get people back into the workouts. Now, I know that some of the schools have had to, you know, basically pull back on them because they've had positive tests and, you know, they've had to slow it down. 
but I, I still feel like that was kind of a big first step. And, you know, now, you know, you're going to see the NBA get back here in a little bit and that'll happen shortly and baseball coming back and there's still some time in there. So, you know, with that time in there, with being able to get kind of a guidepost of where some of the professional leagues are at. And then I think certainly too, you got to start talking about the NFL and, and getting some kind of training camp form together. I mean, obviously those workouts will be at the individual facilities themselves, but you know, I think you put that all together and I still think the pieces of the puzzle fit into where, you know, it's there to do, you know, a season in the fall of some sort, but you know, they've still got the spring as an option. Although you might've seen too, that, you know, obviously that complicates the draft prospects. Sure. And that was discussed earlier this week. So naturally, you know, that it's not ideal. And, you know, I mean, certainly the other thing is, is now, uh, you know, we are in the, the player empowerment era more than we've ever been before. And it's great to see it happen finally, because all these things we've talked about forever about, you know, why don't the players get together and do this? Why don't they have more controllability of this or what? And now you're seeing it happen and it, it's, you know, it's taken the, the pandemic for it to, to occur, but you know, they're using their voices and they're, and they're speaking out. And uh, you know, you look at what was said, you know, by Milo and, and, and Josh the other day. And, and I mean, really it gets back right into the core of these are things that a lot of us has believed they should have for a long time. Not, not that they should still be talking about it. I mean, that they, it, it should be things that, you know, have already been uh, put in place. So, you know, that dynamic, you know, remains out there. And, um, you know, I would think that, you know, to me, you know, they have some, significant leverage now so maybe something positive can happen in that sense for them where that can get they can get the kind of information or the kinds of details that they're looking for to be able to move forward with this and i think you know the indications were that they were they want to play you know but they they want it to be you know done and they want to get more information about you know how are we going to go about this and i I think that's totally fair they're just like anybody else right if you were going into something you'd want to know all the details about it and you you'd want to get as much information as you possibly can and make your own decision so, I mean, that's what they're asking for. And again, I, I do think there's some time there where a lot of these different things, um, you know, I, I don't know if you're going to say they'll be fully addressed, but, you know, be addressed to the point where, okay, this is the way it's going to be. I'm more cynical on July 6th than I was June 6th. And I think the big reason with that is just, especially in the South, and you look at Arizona, and they were actually, University of Arizona was on the forefront of how they were going to bring students back to campus because they had this whole testing procedure like a month and a half ago, and they have a really good medical school out there, and that's in flux. And I just feel like we would actually potentially come to a place where some schools would not have students back, but still try to field a football team. And I had a discussion with Harry Black, and you know at least of Harry. Maybe you met him back in the day. I don't know if he ever did meet or not. But And as a former student-athlete, quote-unquote, he says it's very clear that the main reason that they would really try to get it done this fall would be money. And I think we'd all agree with that. I mean, these athletic departments need it. But I I feel as if now, just like I did at the beginning of March, when the Ivy League, they canceled their basketball tournament, and you think, yeah, okay. And then you see that that's kind of a trendsetter. And I'm not going to say what Harvard did today, going online classes only, is the death knell for you know Power 5 college football. Not by any stretch, but it does seem as if, you know, this, uh, I think part of it's the player empowerment you speak of. There's going to be more voices coming out with that. And then eventually, I I do wonder who would make that decision because I feel as if athletic directors and coaches would feel bailed out 
if governors or if federal ever did anything, then they would feel like, okay, good, someone else is making the decision. I don't think the, the athletic directors or even the conference commissioners are going to be the ones to do that. You know, you've got individual campuses on top of the conference affiliations, on top of the you know local municipalities, state governments. All that is in the mix somewhere in this. And so it's not just as simple as, it's any one person's decision, that's for sure. But, you know, you still get into a point and, you know, at the risk of going political here, Carp, I mean, can you imagine a scenario where you have the schools that still want to play against the schools for whatever reason can't play? And I know that this was thought about early on in this process in terms of, a, you know, a, you know, the kind of the southern states, SEC country against, you know, maybe what Big Ten and what could happen there. And how you look, the data maybe is flipped around a little bit in terms of, um, you know, the positive test results so far. And, you know, it remains to be seen how it will play out here over the, the coming months. But, um, I mean, can you imagine a scenario like that? I mean, where you have sort of willing totally. participants in terms of at the state level, at the college level, at the local level, uh, you know, at the local level, I know that those were stories recently about Alabama, you know, what the, you know, what it means to the local economy for them to have the games there and how important it is. And, and there's no doubt, you know, you think about not only the money on the table from in terms of the athletic departments and the TV contracts, but just think about, you know, individual businesses, you know, that benefit in, in you know, in and around the, you know, the college campus areas, hotels, et cetera, you name it. I mean, it's a, it's a force multiplier. So, I mean, you've got all this stuff going on, but, you know, for right now with where you're at, you know, I, I think, you know, if you want to do a confidence meter on it, I, I don't think you could say at a 10 out of 10. But, um, you know, I just think that, you know, still there is time. And as long as there's time, you know, whether you could adjust the schedule a little bit, whether you could do something with the non-conference, you know, whether you could consider, you know, shifting it to the spring, I, I just think it's, you know, there, there's a multitude of options that are still there. Uh, and I'm not one to, to look at it and say, okay, those, those options don't exist yet because, you know, I, I still think that, um, you know, you're looking at it. You still got schools trying to look at, you know, what to do in the fall, but, you know, the athletics is another component of that, so that they're looking at it in parallel. I got a twofold question here, and it's kind of optics, and it's also specific to how the Illinois Athletic Department communicated to its own student-athletes. So Milo, and I come to find out it's Milo Eifler. I, I was saying Milo the entire time. It is Milo. And Milo comes out uh, last Wednesday, so this is five days ago. He says what he says, and we're all on board with that. He just wants to know basically his working conditions, right? And I was speaking with Shannon Ryan last Thursday, and she had brought up that, you know, it was puzzling because if there had been the communication you'd hope for from the athletic department to the players, that Milo wouldn't necessarily go on Twitter. And I know he was being general. He didn't call Illinois out by name, but he had more questions than answers, clearly. So that kind of speaks to maybe a lack of communication. So my first question to you would be, do you think that that might have been the issue, a lack of communication or a lack of clarity? from the DIA. And the second would be Lovey just returned to campus last week, about two weeks after the athletes themselves came back. I know that's not uncommon for summer workouts because coaches are usually recruiting, but clearly he's not going out to recruit. So he was just kind of hanging low, got back in camp. So like normal then. Well, that's that, that would be my second question to you because I got to be honest, it didn't strike me immediately. But when I thought about it, and Illinois football has the big Twitter post and Lovey's back, and I'm thinking, yeah, wait, the athletes have been back for two weeks. Where the hell was he in the first place? Arizona, of all places. You don't want to be there. So I, I guess I'm finding uh, 
a little disconcerting that one, the communication may not have been there, and two, that in this circumstance, Lovey needs to be here when the athletes get back if we're actually going to even pretend that we're looking out for the health and safety of these you know, 18 to 22-year-old kids. But I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, and I know I do that sometimes. No, and I, I think, to, you know, to me, it's just that you know, I would just lean on this, and I think this would be fair to both sides because I, I think that there, there, you know, certainly there, there is communication occurring, and, and you know, you, things are just happening in real time. If you're like, you know, yourself or, or me, don't you just want more information about everything? Yeah. You know, aren't you just sort of ravenous for more information or whatever you can find? And, you know, there's so much back and forth. You read this article and it says this, and then you read this article and it says this. You know, and this really goes to everything from, you know, CDC guidelines, you know, scientific studies. And then you get down to the level of, um, you know, like um, local rules in one county against the other. You know, we're open. This county is opening two weeks early here and this is happening here. And, you know, what's allowed here and what isn't here. I, I just think that we're all in this position where we just, you know, we want to know as much as we can to, to make self-determination about what to do going forward, you know, in our own lives. And. You know, at the same time, I, I'm not sure all that information is available right now. There's so as is out there. I think that you know you, you can have it, but it, I'm not sure all the decisions have been made, and, and it's it's just a real time, ongoing process. And there's going to have to be a little bit of patience um, on, on some of the things as as we continue to learn more, as as it continues to evolve. So I think that's really a better description of kind of where we're at with some of this. But I don't. That doesn't make him wrong. And it doesn't make what, you know, you know, a football program around America would be wrong about what they would tell. I, I just think it's, you know, it's a situation where, where we're at right now. And, you know, I think it's, you can, you can say, look, you know, I, I would agree. You know, they, they want to know a little bit more about, you know, going forward. And, and I'm sure that, you know, that will, that will come at a future date. And I think that the one thing is though, but again, you get into this, there is only so much finite time left. So at some point decisions do have to be made. But uh, again, I'm in the camp of, you know, there, there's a little bit of time here to work things out. And I think part of that, too, would be looking at the guidance from, like you said, what's going to happen with the state, what's going to happen with uh, universities, what's going to happen down the road with with everybody. Everything's got to come together. And athletics is a part of that. I think in a moment of candor, so when Milo meets with Josh and Lovey last Wednesday before he was had the media availability on Wednesday afternoon, I would not have been surprised if in that meeting Josh and Lovey were asked a question and they looked at Milo and said, hey, just kind of like you were alluding to, we're doing the best we can with the information we got. And it isn't complete right now because we just don't have a lot of it. I'm seeing it right now with the plans and, and the surveys being sent out to parents about how are we going to open up the schools and do you want your kids in for a full day of instruction and all this sort of stuff. And we're a month away from it. We're one month well, away from it. Look at this example, you know, phase four of the uh, Illinois reopening guidelines limits the outdoor seating capacity for venues. Okay. And it's very small. I think it's what, 20%? Yeah, or, 20, per, 20 or 25%, but there's a I lot of numbers. Back and, yeah, right. I, off the top of my head. I mean, you don't think that could change? I mean, because basically it was saying from phase four to phase five, phase five would be there is a vaccine and 100%. So, you know, I even think looking at it from that middle ground, I mean, if the, if the testing numbers change, if things are more positive, if if the state feels a little bit better, don't you think they could just come back in executive order and say, hey, we're lifting that? You know, it's up to 50% or, you know, whatever they're going to do. I, you know, nothing is set in stone. I, I think that's that's clear from how this is going. And, you know, I, I think objectively you got people trying to look out for people's best interests, trying to make the best decision. 
And, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, how to restart a college football season in the grand scheme of things, you know, that's going to be part of the equation. You know, how do you get back to doing large outdoor or indoor events uh, and do it so that, you know, that you can follow as many safety protocols as possible and do it in a, in a correct manner. And how can you get the buy-in from the people that are going to attend so that, um, you know, that, that everybody's working together to make sure that you can continue to have these events because it's not like you're just going to have one and that's going to be the end of it. So if we're talking about football, you know, you're talking about several home games, right? Yeah. It's like, and I think again, you're going to see a little bit of what MLB does and NBA does. Uh, well, we know what the NBA is doing, but with MLB, maybe, you know, to a, to a more so extent, we're going to see how it works. And I think from there, they'll be able to study and they're going to have to quickly turn around and, and um, you know, input some of that data and some of the lessons learned and, and then take it from there. But I, I think that's kind of all part of this composite that's going on right now. Before we get to Illinois football specifically, and we'll we'll operate under the guise if there is a season, because we still need to do a little bit of, I don't want to say dare to dream, but we can talk about what this team would look like if there is in fact a season. But I was thinking this when I was speaking with uh, Harry and Trevor a couple of, or last night actually, and I'm thinking about the NCAA as a whole. So this is a very macro kind of question I'm going to pose to you here. And I understand that these athletic departments are in dire financial need of playing these football games, especially for the TV money at a minimum. But I'm thinking about the NCAA and the multi-billion dollar institution that it is and the money that kind of goes unchecked, whether it be to all the higher ups at bowls, you know, bowl games or the March Madness contract alone. And I'm thinking, how in the hell does the NCAA of all organizations not have a rainy day fund? And I know that losing March Madness, that's a huge hit. Losing any football season, no matter how big your rainy day fund is, that would be a big hit. But I find it puzzling that, and you could find this in government, I'm sure, or any large organization, that there isn't more of a rainy day fund or insurance policy, kind of like they had with March Madness, for this very thing. That wouldn't, that would take the onus off of these individual athletic departments to essentially say, damn it, we got to play these games or we are screwed. I, I find that puzzling i guess there's no question in there but i was pondering that and it just kind of makes me wonder why there wasn't uh, a fail safe have you ever looked at the ledger sheets for revenue and expense that the athletic departments around the country well that's that's the thing so here's how it's different if, for you, me. if you if you see it i mean you you pretty much know the answer but i mean it's you know th this is unprecedented i mean i think the other thing is did, did they really ever foresee something like this ever happening I mean, it'd be difficult to plan for. I get it. But I'm just thinking right. about the decades worth of time that the NCAA could have backlogged or just stashed away a little bit of the ridiculous. And that's the difference, right? I'm not saying that this is on the athletic departments because they are operating on razor thin margins when you have all these non-revenue sports and the, the amount of staffing that's required to put any game day environment, even for the non-revenue sports, it's not easy to make money as an athletic department. But I'm thinking about the NCAA as a whole, or even for that matter, conferences, Big Ten, ACC, SEC, the TV deals that are being made here and that I get why not playing the games means no TV revenue, but we've still had decades worth of TV revenue and all of this that I'm like, where, where did that money go? Did we just really, did we spend all of that? Is it gone? And we can't even sustain one year's worth of not what playing. What you're really saying is you'd get in a DeLorean to get <laughs> yeah. travel back in time to make sure that all the, the, the NCAA and the athletic department saved more money for a rainy day fund. Yeah. But it, and I would question and say, if you're going to go do that, 
you, you should just stop the global pandemic in the first place. That would be great. And maybe not put the emphasis on, on traveling back in time over any. That'd be fair. Go to Wuhan back in October 2019 and just be yeah, at just the ready. Stop the whole thing, right? Or at least save the doctor that they ended up killing, or but whatever that situation was. This, this is the kind of question that I would love to see Carb mix it up in the. You know, that's you. I have not heard this question asked any athletic director. Hmm. You know, I don't think anybody. I'm thinking back to you know, I read uh, voraciously, sort of you know, uh, you know, University of Texas content, and I'm not sure this, that has been asked. Well, and here's the thing, though. My concern, Steve. And, and I know, look, I know, I know different departments operate differently. So, you know, in terms of True. Uh, some on there, you know, they 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 give back uh, the revenue to the to the uh, um, you know academic side, and everybody has a different setup. So, you know, I, I think the you know the base the base answer comes back to again. I mean, this is this is entirely uncharted territory. That's you know that's it. I mean, I you know I guess the only what's the only sporting event that had one Wimbledon, right? Did they still have Wimbledon? They had, Wimbledon had pandemic insurance. Oh, oh, that had insurance. I think meant they still right. played it. And I think, I believe too, and maybe the Open Championship did as well, and that led to why they canceled so early uh, in their in their schedule, uh, just because they knew that they could they could go ahead and call that in. But I, other than that, those are the only uh, ones that I've heard of that had that kind of foresight. So I think it would come back to that as well. One <laughs> going, going forward, <laughs> may you find some. May you, may you find some of that? Well, I don't know. I mean, at this point, I, who, know, who knows what you can do. But uh, I, I do, you know, again, I, I think it just comes back to, the, you know, again, where you're at with everything. Yeah, well, for these insurance companies, they're probably thinking it's at least another 100 years before we get a pandemic. So that'd be an easy way to make some money is just get an, a pandemic insurance policy and then rake that in for the next 9,900 years. But I'm thinking about football and ways that they might be able to make it work or at least more feasible. And one thing being thrown out there, and it has been for well over a month now, is the idea that you would just play conference games. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the smaller schools that need these big paydays like in Illinois State. I'm assuming they're making well into the six figures to come down here to Champaign and play a game. And you could probably still swing that. But let's say for UConn, that's a different beast. And that, to me, seems tenuous at best if you're asking them to travel across the country for a rather meaningless game. So if it were a schedule, let's leave Illinois State on there. And let's take UConn. These are the games you want the most. (laughs) These are are the games you cannot afford have on the schedule so you take uconn desperately and bowling green out and i'll give you illinois state and let's say that it counts i don't know if it does or not and then you have the nine games in the big 10 four of which yeah four of which are at home what does i'm just thinking that is the razor thin margin that this team was operating at on anyway where i felt like you need to start three and oh clearly if you want to get to a seven and five eight and four pie in the sky, but that razor thin margin is eliminated. If you take out a Yukon and maybe a Bowling Green, though, I bet they could take the bus trip up. It's, um, you know, you think about how critical it is for, you know, a university of Illinois or a big athletic department, but man, you, you talk about FCS level Mac. I mean, certainly I think you already saw a lot of the, uh, pressure that was put on some of the Olympic sports in the Mac uh, as far as them having to go ahead and basically suspend the operations at a few schools to various sports. So uh, as much as, as much as that uh, in Illinois, a big 10, big 12, ACC, SEC, are going to want to play. And those, you know, the, the regional schools, the, the, the not, you know, non uh, group of, or the group of five, you know, the non, uh, 
power schools, man, it's, it's just, it's essential. I mean, uh, you know, kind of, kind of really feel for the spot that they're at because, you know, they don't, they don't have the big TV money contracts to sit back on. So maybe that goes back to your last question, you know, where's the path? Um, you know, they don't have the, the kind of donor giving levels that uh, other schools have. So as far as they're concerned, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's dire, I would imagine. Yeah, it's, you mentioned this before, and I would agree with this because I'm asking questions and I, I would be afraid to ask the whole question I asked of you at a press conference of some athletic director. Hey, where'd all the money go? You know, NCAA, they got a bunch of it, right? Well, you could, I would expect you to ask it more tactfully than that. <laughs> well, sure, but essentially I mean, I, that's I'm what I'm sure asking. I'm sure as being you know, the professional broadcaster, you would ask it a little bit more tactfully than that, but but not much. I, I mean, mean I, <laughs> I really could just do the Seinfeld thing and be, what's the deal with NCAA money? I mean, it's got to be somewhere. Come on. And then Josh would be puzzled and think, okay, how do I? I mean, but you're right, though. And then they look at you and they say, we, we, we spent it all on the damn Jumbotron. That's <laughs> where it all went. All, all, the, all the memes in the Jumbotron, and that's where it all went. But I do wonder for the game day expenses, I was thinking about this, because my house is within earshot of Memorial Stadium, and I, I was thinking if there are games played, my dad and I opted out of going, but you know we'd make some sort of game day tradition at the house and have the TV out or and all that kind of stuff, but usually my cue that something good happened would be that if I'm in the tailgate lots, you hear the fireworks, and you got the delay on TV, so you know something good happened. And I'm thinking, wouldn't they slash that from the game day budget? Because fireworks are not cheap. And I'm thinking that might be one of the first things to go. I don't know what else they'd probably get rid of just to try to pare down that game day budget. Yeah, pyrotechnics. That's a, right off the bat, Carp. That, you're right. You know, be wor- you mean the worst thing of all, though, is I'm guessing they pay a fee. If you want to play Thunderstruck and you want to play all these songs that are famous, you need to pay money to BMI or ASCAP, which are these song publishing places. And you got to pay a lot of money. And I'm thinking, if that goes too, then all of a sudden you get these sort of generic versions of ACDC, <laughs> Rolling See, Stones. Like, now we really need you at the next press conference because you're <laughs> going to nickel and dime them on line items about how much money do you spend on ASCAP fees for copyrighted music. Uh, now, don't they get that for fair use? I mean, they might. They might. Ways, right? But like, I would love to see Carp going down like all, all the little rabbit holes of the budget like where you guys could be saving money you know do you need those kicking nets on the sideline i mean do you, <laughs> can you just kind of warm up under in the tunnel somewhere i mean can you just keep going down i'd love to see that that would be or or think of this you're going to have every concession stand open so now do you have a lottery for all the churches and organizations that tend to make money from these places and you divvy out the concession stands via lottery system how do you do it these are the big questions that I've been pondering here about the game day environment. I guess we'll find out. Or maybe we won't. What about the pyrotechnics? Still got them. <laughs> you know anything? I will say, though. You still have the, you'd have the cannon. You, you got that, and you got the bell. You still have the cannon, so you, you, the kinda, you, kinda, you still get that kind of effect after. I, I think it would be an odd experience to go to those games. And I know there's 10, 12,000 Illini fans that probably did opt in in the option that they got from the DIA saying you can opt in and get your tickets if you want it. They might have a lottery thing go on if there's too many people that request it. And there are two ways to opt out. One of them is that you give your money to the iFund. The other is that you just wait until 2021. But to me, you know, I know you, you haven't gone to many Illini games. You would usually, after like college game day live, go back home and watch it, right? 
When was the last Illini football or basketball game you actually attended? Gracious. Um, well, basketball, certainly <laughs> a lot more. But, yes, I'll cop to the fact that I, I just thought it got to be you know so much easier to, to get on with the rest of your day. Carl. It is. So uh, much you know, easier. I kind of gave up on it. But, uh, you know, I do always I always go back to you. I joke. I said I still feel like the most triumphant Illini win of like the last decade was that win over Cincinnati. Oh, totally. You know, and walking out of there, you felt like you know you was it was the kings of the world for a, for a day. About you know the, the you know they were coming on Shieldhouse with the playing quarterback. I mean, I, there's not too many uh, there's not too many memories like that you can point back to and say I had that feeling walking out. So I know you always joked about you know ready to hit the tailgate lot, but you know from that standpoint, like you know go invest. <laughs> Look, if I'm invested in front of my TV, I feel I'm fully invested. I don't feel I got to be right there to necessarily see everything that's going on. Um, all the time. I, I think it can benefit you in some regard, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's just the way it would go. That's just the way it would go. And, and you know what? Most of the time I felt validated, Kerb. <laughs> it, it's, it's I, felt a, like, I felt like I could get a better sense of the way things were going and take a look at some of the things, uh, you know, in terms of the replays and on TV and, and watch it that way. But that that's, to, you know, by the way, that I'm getting, I'm getting lost track here. But this is the battle I think with a lot of stuff today is, the convenience between, you know, everything you have to do to be there against how easy it is not to be there anymore. And then if you look at, I think a lot of the blog culture and a lot of, you know, kind of the, now you've, you know, I'd even take it to, you know, the sort of instantaneous sync with people's social media and the blog culture and their, you know, microsites and all that. Like, can you, can you not tell me the guys doing that do a better job of covering sometimes of what's going on and just, being at, being at home or being wherever, taking a look at the game and critically analyzing it from there and, and getting tapped into the post-game feed and, and just covering it from a – I mean, to me, it's like, you know, I know we're all into this with, with Zoom now and remote work and, you know, everything else that's going on, but, like, like to me, there's no difference. You know, if you if you got to get a source or you're calling somebody on the phone, like, what does it matter if you're there or you're not? Like, you can you can make it happen both ways. And it's not to say that the value from the people that are in the stadium, they're not providing it to you because I don't believe that that to be the case journalistically. In fact, I thank those who are grinding it out, who are in the locker rooms, who are getting, you know, staying after to get the unique content, et cetera. But I, but I, what I don't want to do is I don't want to diminish anybody that looks at it and says, you know, I can be just as effective writing my 2000 word think piece, you know, from, from my basement by analyzing this game, and maybe even put me in a better position for the next day of being the thought leader on, you know, what's happened here and where do we go, you know, what are the next steps? So, um, I mean, that's kind of where we're at now, I think, with uh, with where everything is, you know, journalism-wise. But, you know, I think a lot of what we're doing now in terms of the workplace, you know, you look at journal, you look at sports journalism, uh, I think that worm turned a while back. I think we were already there. I think the immediacy with which people can respond to it, like you said, from the basement or from the press box and still covered from different angles. And when I think about, you know, there are some blog sites that do just as good of a job of covering it without ever se- stepping foot in a press conference. And you you and I have talked about this before, about how press conferences, the and I didn't I never covered them regularly, but the ones I have attended, they are dull. And you could be lucky enough to cover Mike Leach, but eventually I think that act would wear thin. Or you could be lucky enough to cover Tim Beckman, but eventually the unintentional comedy isn't so funny anymore. So I'm thinking about how, you know, essentially the old way of doing journalism, there's still a place for that. But 
the best ones that are doing that kind of old school sports journalism, and I'll, I'll use Jeremy as an example because he's an immediate one, are often getting the sources that they need for recruiting articles and all that through Twitter and using that platform every bit as much as they would a pad and a, and a pen at a press conference and often getting far more interesting uh, or, I guess, more relevant material. Yeah, and look at even now, you know, obviously with the Big Ten Network, you know, individual schools have their own media apparatus. So that's a bypass in a certain extent to the local media and even regional media. Um, being at, a, you know, operating at a more network level. So you've got that going on. And now you have, you know, again, we come back to player empowerment. They're just going straight to social media. So they're even bypassing their own athletic departments uh, when they choose to. And, and just, you know, using their their platform with all their followers to communicate directly with the fan base of the local community. So that's a new wrinkle um, that, you know, certainly not the first time we've seen it here at Illinois. You know, if you remember, you know, what occurred in the, you know, to bring down, uh, you know, the Beckman era, but, you know, I think you're seeing even more and more now it's becoming more and more of a regular occurrence. So, you know, if you are a conventional media or your new media or whatever you consider yourself and you're trying to triangulate all this stuff in real time, um, again, it's even more of a 24 seven, thing that it was ever before um and now you've got you know traditional historical channels for, for content distribution you know that you have to be a part of you've got untraditional methods uh, in terms of having to follow everybody online uh and you got you know new ground uh, being broken all the time in terms of you know the way things are happening uh you know with players speaking out with uh, coaches maybe using social media in a, in a new sense and reacting to it. So uh, it's all different, but yeah, I think uh, to your original point, I mean, uh, the, the formality of these news conferences, the presser, I mean, if, if anything were to ever come out, can we just be done with this? Stuff? <laughs> I mean, you know, like, like I'm not even sure if you took a vote of the, I mean, it is performance theater, right? So I'm sure some of the media would, would love it, you know, in terms of being able to have that interaction and, sort of, you know, get get them to say things out in the public sphere. I mean, that's what I was always interested in is if you had something, like, where's this going to go? But at the same time, you know, if you got something really good, are you even going to bring it to that forum? Probably not. You're probably going to hold on to it for when you can really drop it. So, like, you know, the value of this thing is just really at an all-time low. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure if you took a vote that uh, I, it would be, to me, like 60-40, probably get rid of them, let's not have them anymore, just move on with it. But you know, you, you, there's still value because if you're out of town, you want to get a hold of the coach. You know, you want to chime in. You want to you want to get that opposing information and kind of weave it back into your stuff. But for the local guy, um, no. Could you just pop out and get him at practice? Sure, you could. You don't need you don't need an informal presser. We were talking about how blogs. Not giving away any secrets here. I don't want to. No, no, secrets. not at all. Not at all. Not no no tricks of the trade or anything like that. But we were talking about alternative forms of media, and for the sake of a transition, and also to pat ourselves on the back. I felt like the we did College Game Day Live from 2013 to 2016. What was your favorite Illini football season between 2013 and 2016? I mean, think of the uh, 2013 four and eight campaign. 2014, of course, they made a bowl game, even though we had kind of done the obituary for Tim Beckman before that Penn State game. We had a cubit year, and we had Lovey's first season. What a run! Oh man. Do, do I have to pick? You, know, you, you got to pick one. And you know what? <laughs> the funny thing is the 2014, I don't think is the answer because we were done with it by the time it got interesting. It was over. I, 
I think it might be the answer because it just, in spite of everything, somehow that team found a way to get to a bowl game. So it might be the, it might be, you know, they just willed it to existence there at the very end. And then you had, was it the Riley O'Toole phenomena there? That's right. right? And couple weeks, freshman I mean, year impa- of Dudek. Impassioned play at the quarterback position. A, a, a much needed jolt. So, you know, that, that could be the answer. Um, I, you know, they're, they're also terrible card. <laughs> what was the I worst mean, then? What was the worst I mean, out of those? You, Probably Lovey's first year. I think that was bad. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I would, you know, I always joked about it being turn off the TV moment, like how, you know, Illinois football's goal was to push it as late as they can to have not have you not turn off the TV. So if you look back at each season, that that, la- that first love year was pretty quick in terms of the turn off the TV moment. So it, it might have to be that. It might have to be the, the Beckman Bowl team. You know what's a shame, though, is the best, and you mentioned this just about five minutes ago, was the best I ever felt about a, an entire game day experience where we did our show, went into the game, and was able to sort of revel in a victory. The biggest victory in those four years that we had probably had a show out in the parking lot beforehand would have been Cincinnati. That would have been it. And I I think that was the second game of the year. It actually led to you, of course, to do the Cubit dance, lest we forget. It's still on YouTube, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it still is. Where is Bill Cubit, by the way? Is he he's coaching down in Florida, high school team for fun, I think. Lost track. All all old Illinois coaches, they eventually end up being like the Packers special teams coach. So yeah. I'll just say that he's there. For, for lack of a better knowledge, but yeah, I, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, I look at it, look at back now. I mean, did you, what was worse? Like, I think the cubit year for me was the worst. Wow. Because I, I think you, and you heard me complain about it during, during that year, but I, you know, they had some early mo, right. Four and one. Right. And, and I just, and then as it wore down, you're just like, they're not going to do it. Are they? Yeah. It was and, a long slog at the and, end of it. And and that was, that was a team that should have won enough to be a bowl team. And they just, they just messed it up. And I, I don't know. So I think, I think that darkness period of that season combined with, Oh my God, he could be back. <laughs> I mean, it was like, Oh my God, this could be your head coach. And his son could be here, you know, like, you're like, I, is, is anybody in charge here? Right. That, so that, that, that threat level of, you know, DEFCON one, um, should have scared the living crap out of everybody that, uh, that, oh, oh dear, you know, this is, this is not good at all. So, but you know, and, and then obviously you're, you're in a much different position now, but you know, if you stack all that together, I mean, I, I think it was the whispers that were, you were hearing during the Beckman <laughs> years were not good. And certainly, I mean, we were out of college game day live. How many people did we talk to about this donor from Chicago would come up and say, I had this experience with this, this coach, this athletic department. And uh, you just would hear so many different things. So mm-hmm. you, you, it was not going well. <laughs> and, and that was confirmed on the, you know, certainly with what ultimately happened, but man, what a, what a tumultuous time. Uh, so at least you're out of that. So we it, we are out of that. Things but- have not gotten better. Just, just think back to those uh, three-year period. They have measurably gotten better. There's no doubt. And I'm thinking, you know, college game day live ends. And I think for me, we had, I forget the conversation we had, but the idea of doing a Monday evening show, 
as opposed to waking up early on a Saturday, getting out to the lots, usually when it was freezing, not freezing cold, but cold enough at seven in the morning to do a two and a half hour show outdoors. We moved it into the studio, I think, the last year and then eventually set out of hell with it. Illinois football is not worth it. And well, we, I, think that, I think we also thought, like, if the, if, if the nobody was going to show up in the, the damn tailgate lots, why should we? <laughs> it's true. I mean, because... Like, if, if everybody had... <laughs> if other, I mean, I apologize to the true diehards out there, and I, we know who they are. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I mean, certainly. Like, you know, you start looking around, and you start thinking, well... I mean, remember, there was one game at Michigan State. There, were, there was one car, you know, before Grange Grove, right? You had the old VIP... Loyalty circle. Right? The loyalty circle, right? And there was in that Michigan State game, and I think it was one hour to kick. There was one vehicle in there, and it had a Michigan State flag. What else do you need to say? So you know, at least you're at least you're far beyond that point. But you know, at that at that level, then you know, why yeah, why do we need to take it out on the on the road? So we decided then let's do the Monday evening show, and I want to read you some of the early titles for the 200 level, and you you need to try to guess what we would have been talking about. Okay, so for example, trajectory of misery. This is from February 6, 2017. Can you take a guess as to what two teams John Gross's Illini lost? Oh, dear. Again, I'll give you that week. It would have been February 6th. That means it would have been maybe January 31st through February 5th. Illinois loses two games, and we were pissed. I, you know, honestly, Carb, you're so much better at this than I. I would say, was Penn State in there? Penn State is coming up. It was actually uh, two home games: Wisconsin at home. They were tenth in the nation. You lost fifty-seven to forty-three, and then Minnesota. After that, you lost sixty-eight yeah. to fifty-nine. Now it got so bad that year, and this is the only clip I got for you. And I hope that you can hear this through your headset. I'm pretty sure you'll be able to. This is the only clip I got. You may remember this game that we began to play during John Gross's final season, especially that February. Are you ready? All right. Okay. So we'll bring this game back. Studio audience today. Do you remember that game, Steve? Oh yes, yes. That was and, and that is it's such a great. It was a great feature, but to, to actually <laughs> to pit the Illinois RPI <laughs> against other mid-major teams, <laughs> see if we, if they were actually above, and you know, and in, in, in the interest of transparency, you could not cheat during the week. No, you kind of had to know where teams were slotted from the last week, and then kind of pay attention, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, depressing, because what, what were they around all the time, 60, 70? Yeah, I mean, they, they were nowhere near no, the tournament. No. But as you often said, they could not work their way off the bubble, no matter how hard they tried. Because later on, February 27th, 2017, the ladder lives. You might remember the ladder. Do you? Oh, the five, yeah, the five-game winning streak. The inspirational ladder, right? The inspirational ladder before the Scarlet Good Night, and I, right. I think we all recall what happened there. And uh, I will say too, and, and this is—I I say this in as much sincerity as I can—the um, biggest celebration I've had, <laughs> probably in the last, you know, several years, was the Deshaun Freeman bucket at the rack that basically set you free. Mm-hmm. It did. I mean, it, 
it was a, it was a, it was a moment to be celebrated. Um, at that point, you realize that it was it was done, and no more ambiguity. And uh, now, even though a lot of people were still spinning it, they were still nope. There's still a chance. How many times? <laughs> how many times did you hear it with with the John Gross team? There was still a chance. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know that bubble's a weak bubble. That's a weak bubble. There's still a chance, and like th- that was always, as you mentioned for the the million time, like the idea that that was all this amounted to was backdooring into the Dayton, you know, playing games, uh, in essence was, was what it amounted, it amounted to that. That isn't really what it was about. And I think that, you know, when Whitman came out the day he announced Underwood and you heard what he had to say, kind of smashed all that, which was great to finally hear. But, you know, one of the, one of the things that I would give, since this is the 100th edition and we are celebrating now the 100th edition, you know, of the, of the 200 level, one thing I would give a lot of credit uh, to the podcast, to this day, I give credit to this podcast and everybody who contributes to it. It is an honest, down and dirty look at Illinois athletics from the standpoint of, I believe there's no sugarcoating in terms of what the 200 level has done. I think it's been brutally honest, and sometimes it's been too honest. But you go back to that, and I think we were one of the early, uh, you know, sets on here. And, and at the time, we were being called negative, and we were being called you know, out of our minds. And, and, you know, I know, I remember one time I thought we were doing a great job because I, the show hadn't even started yet. And I think people were already complaining on the text line that we were about to start speaking. And I said, boy, we got, we got something. We've really hit a nerve here. I remember that. Yeah. With what's going on, but you know, people were all fired up about it. And, um, you know, I think we held to our guns. I think, you know, the consistent message I had at the time was this is not the level of expectation for Illinois basketball. And I'm tired of seeing this. And this is no good. And I don't care if they make the tournament. And I, this is not the coach to lead. Uh, you know, the recruits had spoken. He had landed absolutely nobody of of any uh, of, of any value uh, throughout his time there. And everybody kept hanging on to like, well, the next guy will be the guy to deliver all this stuff. And you know, if you look back at it now, um, you know, I, I think the uh, we were on the right side of history, Carp. I mean, this podcast, yourself, uh, you know. Certainly, I think it aligned with what, you know, Whitman coming in and his vision was for where it needed to go. And, you know, and I think that's what we saw with the beginning of the Underwood era. And so, you know, I, I give uh, I give it a lot of credit from the standpoint of that, um, you know, we were willing to, to say at the time, look, this is this is what we believe and this is what we think. And, uh, you know, that, that's that's what it is. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things, too, I'll give you some credit. I mean, uh, and I think you deserve a lot of it. Um you're willing to you want to stand up and, and you have great logical foundational opinions behind what you're saying. So you're not coming at it from a perspective of where, you know, it's not um, it's not a hot take. Um, you know, it, it's not done from somebody not looking at past schedules and understanding historical precedent and even understanding, you know, what's occurring in the present. I mean, you're, you're laying it out there. So uh, I, I would rather think it was an idea at the time where a lot of the people, uh, they, they did not want to hear the message. Uh, I don't think it was necessarily a messenger issue. They didn't want to hear the message. And and I think to this day, I, I think when you talk about the football program, a lot of people get uncomfortable because they don't want to look at some of the hard truths and the reality with what's going on there in terms of some of these recruiting classes. They just don't want to hear it. The data doesn't lie. The data is there. And that's going to that's gonna tell a lot of the story, you know, going down the road in the future. Um, and it's okay if you don't want to listen to that, but eventually you're going to have to confront it. Uh, and I think that's all you can keep doing is keep pointing it out to people. But at the same time, you know, we try to be fair in, in the other direction when, when good things are going on. And, 
Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know how many times you said it on, on 93.5, but, uh, you know, when a decade where nothing good was happening, <laughs> to, to continue to look for bright spots was, was maybe the hardest thing ever uh, that, that you guys had to do there on the radio and to find it. Um, so, you know, certainly with way, the kind of program you could deliver, um, you, know, you were able to kind of get through that. But, man, you know, I mean, what a, you know, uh, when all you had is baseball and golf, right? Essentially. It comes back to baseball, golf, and volleyball, you know, leading the way. So uh, that, that's a that, that's a that's a decade that, you know, there, were, there wasn't a lot of positive there. But I think that's what the 200 level is. And, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. I think you guys have taken it to the next level with kind of doing the, you know, instant reaction stuff. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who are looking for that experience, you know, that, that sit around and probably, you know, want to, want to be a part of something immediately afterward. And, um, you know, with what you guys were experimenting with that, that was awesome to see, because that's just another thing of, you know, you can go back and you can engage with it during the week. You can engage with it a couple of weeks later. Hell, you can go back right now and engage with it and go find it and kind of see what people were, were saying at the moment of, and, and, you know, try to see if people were being consistent or not. So, I think that I think it's been great, and I'm glad you're still doing it uh, on a on a week in and week out basis. And not only that, but of late you've been inviting new people into the into the podcast uh, that you've had on, and, and and obviously some some great voices in media who've got their own different perspectives. And I hope you continue to do that. So um, I think it's I think it's fantastic. And man, to make it to 100, I mean that's pretty sweet. So now you have to go for 200, which there we go. Well, I, I appreciate all that. I mean, that, that means a lot coming from you because a lot of the, um, what would we say, the the mindset behind doing College Game Day Live and the 200 level, when I'd be on J as the third guy, you know, there was a niche that I was able to play, but eventually, if you are going to be a co-host of a show, you need to take it next level, and it needs to be less of a role and more of, as you said, based in some sort of kind of logical thinking. And I, I always try to admit when an opinion of mine is emotional based. Like I try to be cognizant of it and say, listen, I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why I hate Pat Fitzgerald. I just do. And I'll, I'll acknowledge that with no real logic behind it. But you know, the, the thing that I think frustrated me a year ago, because we're coming up on a year ago when I was done at 93.5 and for all intents and purposes, the, the things that we were able to see on the 200 level and and credit to uh, the radio group for allowing us to say what we did in relative um, autonomy. I mean, I, I never really got directives, at least for a while, didn't get any directives to not say this or not say that. But for all intents and purposes, it eventually led to the end of the terrestrial radio thing. And that took a bit to kind of come to grips with when you do that for a decade. But what has been really fun over the last year is finding that, wait a second, you know, everything that we did on those Monday evenings or those Saturday mornings, which were a precursor to it, you can, I, I can come down to the basement studio and do it whenever. And that I, I get the feeling that if the 200 level had been going on right now in the old terrestrial radio format, that we would have been branching out in similar, way, similar ways because quite simply, there aren't games to talk about. There's other things to talk about. And that's been liberating too. So, um, I'm, I think the big thing from the beginning was holding those accountable who need to be held accountable, and that sounds very like Washington Post, Watergate, and we're only talking about sports, but in this community, there is is uh, there is a lack sometimes of media that will hold the DIA accountable, and because of that, I know Stephen Bardo once said the University of East Central Illinois, that's what it feels like sometimes, and it does have that small town, let's not step on any toes, 
ruffle any feathers. And frankly, if I don't ever get invited to a DIA luncheon, I could give a crap. And, and that's okay. And I do like that autonomy and the ability to not have uh, any concerns as to what anyone over there thinks about what I say. No, I, I think that that is a great vehicle. I mean, you are, I consider you the titular head of all Illini podcasts. Holy moly. So uh, you are. Re- <laughs> that is a You're big my leader. I don't care how many more Illini podcasts uh, pop up on the horizon. Uh, I think you have the, the track record, but I mean, that not that what it's all about? Like, you know, you just mentioned this, but if Stephen Bardo has an opinion and, you know, look, I mean, he's been in the meeting now for a long time. And, you know, certainly he's well connected. Like, don't you, aren't you interested to hear Stephen Bardo's opinion and kind of from his personal history and, you know, certainly from his, his days at, at, at Illinois, I mean, there's room for his opinion. I think there's room for Michael Carpenter's opinion and, and, and everybody else who, who, who really cares about and covers the program. And, you know, sometimes there's going to be uncomfortable truths in there. And, you know, I think that that's the, that's the discussion point. And I don't know why I do, you know, look, I'll put my, decade plus of being in, in the media and around the program on this and I'll throw it down. But I think, I think, you know, mixing it up every once in a while and bringing some hard questions to some of these things um, is necessary. And I, I would like to see a little bit more of that, in all honesty, I, I think, I think locally could use a little bit more and that's not, that's not to be critical. I, I just think that, you know, and I, I understand the relationships that need to be had and all that, but you know, whether that has to come from directly or it has to come from just the consensus I mean, how many times have I told you I thought that the the, the network, the alumni, the local community um, should demand more out of, out of some of this, you know, timeline? Like, I'm not down for a seven-year football program rebuild. Um, I think that's one of the, the statements I made early on, that you can't take, you know, as, as long as you can to just ultimately say, okay, we topped out at six or seven wins. And that, the, I mean, seven years of this, six years of this, um, I've been pretty consistent with that from the start. And I'm not backing down from that. And you're not driving me off of that because I don't believe in, in that at all. And, uh, you know, I don't think it has to be that way. I don't, I don't see other uh, universities where it necessarily has to be that way. And I've, I've seen complete dumpster fires of programs around this country uh, in other scenarios. I mean, look at, look at what happened at Baylor. You think Baylor sat back and said, we got to take another seven years to get this correct. They're back now, granted, you know, talent location where what they got at play, but you know, all this stuff and these these you know these topics that are brought up here in the 200 level and discussed have that discussion, and maybe it does challenge a little bit of thought in terms of the way that some of these the trajectory of the programs is going. I think that's a positive, you know, and I think having a little bit of a you know a, a hardcore group or a you know a group that you know is a little bit more pressurized that wants to see quicker results, you know, I, I think that's positive. But uh, you know, I, I like these discussions. I like where they're going. I like the platform you can have them on now. And, um, you know, I think that they're the kinds that have been going on in, in bars and in restaurants and in houses in, in, in Illinois for, for years. But, you know, now you take a little bit of that and you take it online and you, you invite other people into it and you, you widen it out. So other people that, you know, are having the same types of thoughts, they, they, they understand that, you know, there are other people thinking the same way and that's seeing the same things. And that's a good thing. And I think same thing as you see with it on social media as well, um, you know following a program now and, 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 you know, being interacted with it there. Um, but that's the way it goes. But I, that's, that's the track rec- record to me so far for the 200 level. And I think it's a good one. I, I think, I think I see a lot, you know, as, as long as you're going to stay doing it, 
Um, certainly. I mean, there's some, there'll be some great episodes ahead. As, when, as, and, and we'll keep our fingers crossed for when sports gets rolling again. Yeah. God, no kidding. Uh, well, Steve, quite literally, there would be no 200 level without you because you came up with the name. But also, figuratively speaking, you you sort of I helped establish the identity for this. And uh, we did that back in 93.5 for four years with College Game Day Live and then transitioning to 200 level. So it would not be a 100th episode spectacular without an appearance from our co-host, Emeritus Steve Breitweiser. And you kind of alluded to it there, Steve, the return of sports. I so badly in late August want to sort of like last year do a state of the program preseason preview sort of episode. Fingers crossed we actually get to that point where we can have that. Um, but regardless, uh, I appreciate everything uh, that you've done for, I mean, my own career. And to be quite honest, a lot of what you did on the air, especially early in the college game day live years was formative because, you know, you're always, I don't know about you, but everyone's a sponge and they sort of absorb different influences and different ways of doing things. And there's no doubt that I was influenced by your approach. And uh, that's sort of, uh, what would be the word? You, ha- you have a mix of matter-of-fact directness and humor, and I've always tried to incorporate that in, in what I've done. So thank you for being a part of this. Dude, it's awesome. Just think about today, I think, too, what – so correct me if I'm wrong, but the Illini landed a commitment from a guy named Dee Snyder. Yes, Twisted Sister, Snyder? not to be confused. Think about how much fun we would have had with that one, Carl. I know. Think of all the drops we could do. Let's just let's hope he sticks. <laughs> let's hope let's hope any of them do. I saw, but I saw that and I thought, boy, that was perfect. Two hundred level material. I know there are many times where I, I think that I, I don't want to go in the way back machine too too much, but I was thinking. I said some of my favorites were the THT versus the uh, <laughs> the sumo camp. Oh, show. To- oh my god! An absolute classic. You know, I think we I think we nailed it at the time of of why that had to be made, and I think we. You know, we were we were correct with criticizing the coaching staff for how they could get sucked in. I know they blew it, but it worked out okay ultimately. But yes, it, well, as as we, as we talked about, we thought at the time we thought they made the right business decision going forward with with who they were looking at in the pipeline. And lo and behold, here's Adam Miller you know, down, down the road. You know, and, and now he's waiting for you as the heir apparent. So we'll see. I know last time I was on, I talked about I left it. I think eighty twenty with with. You know, Iowa coming back. Mm-hmm. I think I got to up those odds now. Oh, you think he is coming back even more so? I think I got up. I think I got up the percentage. I think I got to go sixty forty wow. now with sixty. You know, sixty going forty coming back. Hmm. I, I think it's. I think it's. It's. Isn't it getting interesting? I mean, if there's one kind of wild thing that comes, you know, out of this from sports perspective, isn't the potential like they just might decide like, I mean, I'm just coming back. Like you may get that. That may be the biggest story that you know this athletics department has had in what years. It would be huge, and I know that even Dan Dockett said that on the basketball tournament. Well, I mean, after Andres Feliz cuts down the nets, which will happen for the million, yeah, then that would be the next biggest thing. <laughs> I was saying I want to come, <laughs> but I, I think the only thing that I worry, you know, I wonder with this, I go. I go literally. You would be because it's. I think it's October seventeenth is like the deadline because they push the they push the entry back, you know. And you have you've had no camps, you know. You don't have the pre-draft camps, so you kind of can't do that stuff. What would you be coming back to exactly? You know, you don't even know what's going to go on. Mm-hmm. So to say, like, well, I'm not going to go 
because I don't know what's going to happen there. And I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know where my draft position is, but if I say, well, I'm not coming back and I'm going like, what am I coming back to here? I mean, it's just so wild. I, I just think at this point, you just got to flip a coin. And if, if you're him and just, you know, whatever, I don't, I'm not sure there's the wrong decision, but no, you know, I, I, I <laughs> much uncertainty. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, what a, what a crazy, what a crazy spot to be in because by all accounts in any normal year, he'd, he'd, he'd go. I mean, his, his, his prospects would be too, he'd be too much of a talent. He would have showed out at some of the pre-camps. Somebody would take a flyer on him. He's, he's got too much size. You know, he's, he's, he's too good. Somebody, somebody would, right? But now it's like, it just, who knows? So maybe you do, maybe, but I'm, I'm still going to put it like 60, 40 or 50, 50. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put a hundred, you know, and, and I'm not going to go higher than that, but I'm upping it a little bit, Carp. My wish is that he did, he did tweet. He did tweet. Remember the other day? Mm-hmm. Yes, I saw that. He saw Andres put the little, you know, Velcro. And he said something like he wished that he was doing that. I said, oh, it's interesting. Interesting. Well, my hope is this on Sunday, let's say Sunday, August 30th. We do an afternoon Zoom session to cover two things. Illinois basketball with the return of Kofi and Io, and a 10-game Illinois football schedule with the absence of UConn and Bowling Green. There's going to be some wrench in it. If there is a college football season, there's going to be... And also, I think Rutgers came out today and said no on-campus activities for the fall. Now, what that means entirely, who I mean, it sounds pretty definitive, but who knows? Yeah. This is this Rutgers? Yeah, Rutgers. Yeah, well, they've had a lack of on-campus activities in some sports for several years. That's true. No one would notice. So it's it's almost like that. You know, I would say I go back real quick. So if Iowa comes out, here's what I do, Carp. And this, this, he, I mean, you take it or leave it. I mean, it's just a suggestion. Okay. Find a fax machine. FedEx Kinko. I don't know who still has a fax machine. Find a fax machine. Find the facts. I'm sure that Illinois still has one because I got to take the national letters of intent. Right? I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. For some reason we're still just, just, I am a back. <laughs> that is That's all I need to know, say. And then Whitman, Whitman can take, can put it right on. He can put it right on Twitter. Look what just came over the fax machine. Boom. Everything goes nuts. Nice homage to MJ. Right. When the he's top thing. of mind after the last he dance can, is perfect. Right. He's gonna need a he's gonna need a video production team to cut his video on Twitter when he's back too, so that you would time it to where you do the facts and then you do the crossover video and you know, I again I'm it's just an idea. If you want to steal it, I'm I'm offering it up for free. I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not there's no copyright on this. You you can take it and leave it, but that would be a heck of a way to announce you're coming back. To go to the final four, wouldn't it? That good news would be sorely needed, I think, at that point, especially because I don't know about you. This is becoming a bit of a slog, and I've said before on the podcast my my moral dilemma is that you know, on one hand, there's some days where I feel like God, I've come this far without sports, so whatever. And I think that's where college sports, pro sports, are going to do what they got to do because they're at pro athletes and they're getting paid, and if they want to opt out, they can opt out. But I, then the other part of me, and after a conversation like this, and you joined the Zoom session and you heard the sweet sounds of Michael K commentating a, a Yankees intra squad scrimmage, and I'm watching that and damn near welling up tears of joy because I'm seeing the Yankees practice, and I'm thinking, yeah, I, I do want him back, and I, I think that. Obviously, the storyline the next six weeks will be 
if there was a college football season or not. And it just seems things are happening so quickly that, hell, we can know within a few weeks whether or not that's going to be the case. But you might be right, though, that this may be strung along because it is imperative for them to get these games played. And if they happen, I'm going to be excited. I'll be ready. Yeah, I mean, it's it's getting desperate. I mean, it's getting so desperate from a sports perspective, Carp. I, I watched the, the F1 Austrian Grand Prix live the other day. I'm totally in. It's exciting. I'm just, I'm dying for it. You got to give me something here. So, you know, I think we all keep our fingers crossed. And I, I know I've seen a lot of, whether it's governors or mayors say, hey, you want football back, you know, wear your mask on public, et cetera. But I mean, really, you know. You know, I think don't don't we all want it back? Oh my God! <laughs> don't we don't we all want to get on with it? So let's let's all hope. Let's keep our fingers crossed. I think the most important thing is that you know that in the entire country we get through this pandemic. Um, you know, we come out on the other side of it, and we you know we, we get back to a situation where we're doing the things we want to do out there. Uh, you know, in a, in a in a in a manner that you know strives for safety all the time. And that includes going back and watching some college football. And if, yeah, if you put it on my TV, I'm, I'm going to watch all of it. I'm going to watch every bit of it, you know, but I, I think that, you know, that being said, we all want it to be done in a manner that makes sure that the, the student athletes are well taken care of and that, you know, that if fans are going to attend that, you know, they can do so uh, responsibly and that, you know, they, they do so whatever guidelines that need to be followed. So we've got to do it as right as we can based on the circumstances, but man, yes, let's get it back. <laughs> let's get it. Let's get it back as soon as we can. Steve, thanks for hopping on. Thanks for everything. And, uh, you are the perfect, what would it be? If you're a co-host emeritus, you're sort of like an ambassador for the brand. You are the best brand ambassador that, that we could have at the 200 level. And, uh, I, I am really hoping, I know I'm, I'm broken record at this point, but that when we do get six, seven weeks from now, I'll shoot you a text and say, all right, Sunday, August 30th, 2 p.m. Central Time, and get a nice podcast out there for people before the season starts. But I, I appreciate everything, and thanks for hopping on the 100th episode of the 200 level. Dude, historic. <laughs> it's an arbitrary historic. milestone, but you know, what the hell? What the hell? Well, I don't think, you know, I don't think Deb Finan needs to commend you at all right now, but if you mm. get to I, at least like, you know, a key to the city or something, or just maybe like a, an honorary street sign for a day. or you know, something, something. I, I think that's only fair. You, you make it there. Yes. Then it's time to, it's time to start some kind of campaign. Well, the club, these are coming out. I'm doing two, three a week now. So, I mean, it'll be <laughs> next March by that point, Steve, be well, stay safe. And we will talk soon. All right. All right. All right. All right. I love everybody that's a part of the uh, 200 level nation car. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> shout out. They, they love you too, Steve. We'll talk soon. Okay. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right. We'll see you. Steve Brightweiser, co-host emeritus of the 200 level. A great conversation as always. And uh, you know, it's true. It's, it's, uh, it's a meaningful conversation. What is a milestone of a show for someone that I've been doing radio slash podcasting with since 2013. And as you all know, when you listen to Steve and when he's on this podcast and for those that listen back in the day at 93.5 or for those that followed him on TV before he took a bit of a break from sports media, you will find few realer, if that's a word, more honest sports media guys. And that's why I think we mesh so well and why it's like riding a bike anytime that we talk together. So Steve Breitweiser, the man the co-host Meredith. All right, coming up, we had a great conversation. This would have been on Sunday afternoon. 
a little bit of time hopping here, Pulp Fiction style, with Trevor Valise and Harry Black, and we talk plenty of college football with the more recent co-host, along with Isaac Ambrose of the 200 level. Let's bring on our good friends Harry Black and Trevor Valise to continue this supersized three-hour-plus mammoth edition of the 200 level. Harry, Trevor, it will be another 38 episodes before the 138th episode spectacular for the 200 level if we're keeping in line with The Simpsons. But for the 100th episode, there was no other option but to get previous co-hosts back in the fold. And we actually, for a dearth of live sports, we have plenty to talk about. And Harry, I just want to launch right into it. Illinois football making news. And as a student athlete yourself stop it. sorry stop it. as someone that you know at least has a lot more familiarity with that tag than most people right you understand what all goes into these being a so-called student athlete we had milo eifler and i'm going to say milo now shannon ryan corrected me on thursday about this milo eifler uh speaking out wednesday about the concerns about coronavirus we're going to start with that and later we're going to get into josh matter baby but we talked about a month ago harry Voluntary was the word that really stuck out like a sore thumb when we got the statement from the U of I and other from uh, athletic departments, too. These uh, are not quite as voluntary, in my mind at least, because otherwise, why would Milo feel so compelled to speak out? In other words, there's clearly a pressure being um, felt by these players that I got to show up or there's going to be some blowback from any number of sources. Well, yeah, we talked about it a month ago, and it still holds true right now, the idea that these voluntary workouts, and you could have every single coach on every single Division One college football program telling their students that these are um, – that these – workouts are voluntary and mean it wholeheartedly and the players will still not believe that because at the end of the day they know that if they do not show up and the guy behind him does show up enough times he's going to be getting better and and if he's staying out then he won't be able to keep up with what the guys are doing out there on the field so he knows he has to go out there and he has to continue to practice so here we are a month later and you have guys like uh like milo coming out and saying how the, uh, he doesn't like the way and a lot of um, athletes out there don't like the way that these these guys are being treated by or the way this is being handled by college football organizations across America and really I mean from, he might he probably has more insight on it than I do right now simply because I haven't been playing for a couple of years but I would just look at it and first of all 100% agree with him and it might have nothing to do even with what the, the programs are doing I mean Clemson has no way to control their guys coming back and having 28 coronaviruses uh, pop up. But is the idea that they are giving them the chance at all to have an opportunity to have voluntary workouts, quote unquote, that will lead to this, you know, these influx, these, these spikes in numbers because you're having guys come back into close quarters, 100 guys into a you know, small-ish area so that you can have these workouts. It's just the fact that you're having these workouts at all is why I feel like he said that he doesn't like the way that this is being handled by the NCAA and by college football programs, and I 100% agree with him. They shouldn't be having these right now, especially if the way you're looking at it is we're not even going to have students back in the fall. Why are they Why are they thinking that it's better to then have these kids come out and work out? And it's amazing the difference a month makes, because at the beginning of June or end of May, the last time all three of us would have talked and that statement came out, the numbers overall were going down, and in Illinois, which is still doing pr- uh, pretty well nationally, 
you thought, okay, well, we get in the middle of the summer, the guys come back, and by that point, the numbers should be really good. But the problem is there's just a spike nationwide that is making it look as if when we get into August and September, we're going to be looking at, you know, 70, 80,000 cases a day, at which point, how can you, in any sort of good conscience, put 100 student-athletes out per side to play a football game with all the risks that go with it? And Trevor, what... What also sticks out to me are just general conversations about logistics, because I know that he, uh, Milo, made a comment on Wednesday about, well, what, are we going to take a bus out to Piscataway? Or are we going to be going through airports? Like, I mean, all these different things. And uh, you put on top of that, and we've seen it, Trevor, here in town, that the social, social distancing thing, these are mere guidelines or suggestions. But when it comes down to social life especially, that's not going to happen. So we, we yeah. can have best laid plans, but people are going to be people or more specifically college kids are going to be college kids. Well, I think it's part of his point and it's sort of an unanswerable question right now, but to Harry's point as well is, you know, you're kind of uh, narrow mindedly getting in these small group workouts, you know, working out with weightlifting with masks on, but Milo's kind of going and one of his tweets said this, he's like, okay, so what about fall? That's not that far from now when we're supposed to have full 11 on 11 drills. I mean, we're talking like, what, August? That's a month and a half from now when he's expecting, or at least if you're going to have a football season, you're expecting to have full, you know, 80 men on the field at the same time doing things. Like, when is that going to be okay to happen? He's looking forward more, and I understand totally why. And I think this sort of came on on the backs of, I believe it was Arizona, if I'm not incorrect, where... They said they're they're backtracking because of how bad the cases are. They're they're backtracking and saying students should not come back right now. But then they also said that the Arizona Wildcats football team should remain on campus. Sure. So a few of the (laughs) so a few of the players were tweeting like, "Well, wait a minute. You know, the school just released a statement saying it's not safe to have students on campus. So why are we here?" And I don't know. You know, he was in the Pac-12. Obviously, Eifler was at Washington, so maybe he knows some people at Arizona or something. But, you know, he, he tweeted that generally and clarified that he wasn't specifically indicting Illinois. And he said he's had good discussions with Lovey and everybody. But this is, you know, more it doesn't even matter if Illinois is doing well, because there's just so many people. I mean, he said it 200 plus people between trainers, the equipment staff, you know, the uniform people, like everybody. It just I can't fathom how I mean, we're talking about eight weeks from now, guys, where yeah. UConn is supposed to come here from Connecticut and bring a hundred some people. Like, I just don't understand. I I can't see how that's going to happen. And the thing that I don't understand is, or not that I don't understand is that I I hope they don't do, because you hear about these ideas about these protective face shields that they could have players wearing when they are out there on the field. The last thing that I think should happen is if you put them out there and you try to tell them to play a different way, because that's just, that's just, I mean, if you're going to try to impede how these guys are out there breathing on the field when they're using 100% of their energy, or if you're trying to tell them to try to, I don't even know what, like tackle in a certain way to minimize body contact or giving them more equipment to minimize like skin-to-skin contact, that's just a a cause for even different kinds of injuries because these guys would be playing in ways they don't understand. So you can't do anything like that. You have to make sure that this is either – uh, not going to happen or you're telling them to play without any kind of reservations out without any kind of restrictions uh, similar to how yesterday on the uh, on the TBT you saw that these guys were playing basketball regularly no masks they were playing it like it was basketball that's what they should do if they do come back although I've been saying from the beginning I don't think there's going to be a college football season so 
uh, yeah, I'm standing by that as of right now. I'm just saying, if they do, I don't want to see any restrictions. That's just cause for disaster. Harry, I think that it's trending that way, that it's not going to be a season, and that's saying something for college football that needs that money. I just had this thought about social distance football, and each defender gets like a six-foot-long pool noodle, and then they just <laughs> whack whoever's got the ball. It's like, all right, uh, second and four or whatever. But it, it, you're right, because it would fundamentally change football, full contact, all that. You cannot start asking these guys. We've already seen the effects of this in the last five years, the the movement towards player safety. But uh, what it ends up doing is change the way that defenders tackle. And then now you get more low hits, which, you know, more knee injuries. And I couldn't quantify yeah. that, but it certainly seems that way. Uh, no, but there's no, no way that would, there's no way that would work. I mean, no, it wouldn't. But here's a question for you, Harry, because on that same day that Milo tweeted this out, and this was about lunchtime on Wednesday, he tweets out that, you know, I'm concerned, I want to play football, but, you know, does this really make sense? And then the U of I, the DIA, says, hey, we're going to postpone this media availability for Milo. Uh, He's going to speak with Josh Whitman and Lovey Smith. At that point, I'm thinking, oh, boy, We're, we got like an Oklahoma situa- Oklahoma State situation where soon we'll have a video of Milo and Lovey Smith shaking hands and saying, all good, all good. Uh, and in actuality, we did hear from Milo later that day, and he said that the conversation was fine. But I, I'm thinking since you have experience in the culture of college football and how coaches tend to want to control the narrative, how would you have envisioned that conversation playing out with athletic director, coach, uh, I don't know if I'd call him a star player, but very good player on the defense. It's going to be a starter. Uh, open, transparent conversation or one where the coach and athletic director are, hey, you know, next time, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do that. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I would like to believe that they were completely on the side of, of I'm sorry, is it Milo or Milo? I, I Milo, pretty sure. Milo. I said Milo all last episode, and then Shannon Ryan kept saying Milo. And at the end of it, I said, is it is it Milo? She said, yeah. I said, okay. okay I so an hour later. Or, yeah, but, you know, I, I, and I do at the end of the day believe what, what he said at the end of the uh, the Zoom call or whatever, where he said that Lovey Smith was 100% behind him. I do believe that, you know, the guys yeah. are backing their players on this, you know, if they genuinely care about their players, which a lot of the times college coaches will, uh, or they, they do, especially the more invested they get into these guys as they bring them in, which, you know, Lovey's at that point a couple of years in where he would have that kind of investment in these guys. So I believe him when he says that, although the conversation beforehand, I, I find it very hard to believe that there wasn't some kind of sense of, hey, listen, you know, if you're going to say this, we understand your frustrations. We understand that this isn't a situation anyone wants to be in. But if you have concerns, we'd rather you take them to us first or you, you know, you pass this by by uh, someone in the in the football organization because they have people that kind of like look over tweets and make sure they're okay to look at look at social media stuff and make sure it's okay to post. They um, do. Well, they, it's more so just <laughs> Iowa does. Yeah. Well, they, they more so they have people like in your in your uh, position group that you kind of just go over this with, and you have. Um, I guess the word would be compliance people that you also go over this kind of stuff. They, they definitely do. They definitely teach you how to be more media, social media savvy. Um, I would love the job of tweet approver, by the way, on the team. <laughs> You'd be good at it too. Um, although I Continue. feel like at the end of the day, you just be like, let them fly. Kids. You know, let that's, that's the problem is that there would be no uh, compliance whatsoever. It would be like, yeah. dude, tweet it. You need more expletives in this tweet. You need more clout. 
my my dude. But no, I I, I do I do believe um, that they probably told him not necessarily to walk it back um, after he had said what he said, just you know saying, all right, we're going to have this media availability. We're going to you know this is what we kind of want you to say. You can say it in your words, but this is what we would want you to, to say something along those lines. I don't think they're saying, you know, they're cursing him out saying, don't say any of this stuff. But I do think a little bit was kind of nudging him in the direction that they want to be. But I think they're pretty much on similar sides as of right now. Well, I think the problem, if I'm playing devil's advocate, just lied in the fact that I think he ended the original tweet with, what was the phrase? There was blatant disregard for most college football programs for the right. safety of players. Uh, but then, of course, he he, he uh, later clarifies in the Zoom that he wasn't talking about Illinois at all. But I can understand how if you're Kent Brown or somebody over there and, you know, you kind of want to check on players uh, where they're at. You've said, please come to me if you have concerns. He doesn't come to you. And then he tweets that a lot of programs have blatant disregard for the players. I can understand where someone in that office would be like, well, wait a minute. Is he talking about us? Trevor, I got a question here for you. And actually, Harry, you can respond to this after Trevor, too. But. There was a thought that uh, I had, and Shannon really did a good, good job uh, verbalizing this on Thursday, how if it got to the point where Milo felt compelled to tweet that out, what does that say about the conversations or lack thereof between Illinois and the college football players that are back on campus before any other students? What does it say about the lack of discussion that must be going on over there? Because I get the sense that if there had been a fully transparent, hey, welcome back, we're going to have a little bit of a workshop for you and let you know how we're all the protocols, all that, that that could have alleviated some of Milo's concerns. But instead, the way he spoke almost seemed like, hey, listen, I mean, I'm not necessarily blaming Illinois, but I'm not seeing the same sort of regard for player safety here that I would hope. And one more caveat here too, Trevor, is that didn't Lovey just get back in town last week, last Tuesday or Wednesday? Yeah, yeah. So the players were on campus for about two weeks before he even got here. Correct. Now, I know it's he's not. Joke. I know he's not running workouts, but and this seems to be an unspoken thing. But it it, it is a joke, Harry. He's the head coach, and well, that's a whole different thing to go down. With it is that that is a rabbit hole that we could definitely go down. But but to that point, though, Trevor, I mean, that just seems to me to say that the conversations or discussions between the athletic department and the players was not sufficient. Sure. To your point, I think it certainly seemed like what Eifler was doing was venting. And this is like an hour before he's supposed to have his original Zoom call. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but he certainly seemed like he had a lot to say. And Twitter was the only place for him or where he felt comfortable enough to say it. So to your point, why didn't he feel comfortable enough saying it to Lovey or whoever else? I don't really know what those meetings entail. I don't really know if it's just one of those things where Whitman says, hey, if you need anything, I'm here, but then, you know, doesn't reach out again, and it's up to the player to reach out to him, and whether or not Eifler did, I don't know, but to your point, it certainly seems like he was fed up enough to where he felt like he had to voice it publicly on Twitter for anyone to hear him. I don't know. Again, I'm not really sure, and I don't think he would admit how much it personally had to do with what he was experiencing right then on campus at Illinois versus... Maybe he's got friends since he's from the Pac-12 who are at Arizona, and that was what upset him, that the players were still there, or whether it was Clemson having 30-some tests and the LSU guys went to a bar and then they had 30-some tests or whatever. I don't know what specifically was the the trigger for him to do that. I would certainly hope it wouldn't be something that he personally experienced here. 
I, I guess the only tricky part about what he said, in my opinion, is just that all of his questions, while absolutely fair, are, are pretty unanswerable. Like, I don't yeah. really know what he should have definitely talked or Lovey should have definitely talked to him, I guess I would say. But I don't really know what Lovey could say to sort of, uh, you know, calm him down in the sense of, are we going to be safe? Because no one knows the answer. I mean, if you went to Lovey and said, coach, I'm scared. I don't really know if I want to play. I'm not really sure I feel safe. All Lovey can do is say, I support your decision to not play if you don't want to, because Lovey can't go out there and go, yeah, well, I guarantee you Eifler's not going to get coronavirus this fall. There's no way to do that. So, I get the feeling that some of these conversations, including the one that Josh and Lovey had with Milo, there are going to be moments where the athletic director and the coach both kind of shrug and say, I mean, yeah, Milo, you're right to be concerned about that. And we are just going to try to do our best to keep you guys safe, which, again, there's that uncertainty that just goes hand in hand with living in a pandemic. But it, it seems to me, Harry, that, you know, we're waiting or I should say athletic directors and head coaches are sort of waiting for governors or other people to make the decision for them and get an yeah. out. And and I don't know how well that sits with me because on one hand, I get it that you would like to think the governors or for that matter, take the next level and say, you know, the federal government, the administration right now, that they would make these decisions during a pandemic. <laughs> That's a good one. Right. But, <laughs> but at the same time, why wouldn't it be a, a head coach with a conscience or an athletic director with a conscience to be the first ones to say, Listen, the uncertainty, the the lack of guarantee that we can give our own players that they will not get this, we got to shut it down until we know more. I know that's a risky thing to do, but I don't know if it's any more risky, Harry, than going on with the workouts. Oh, God, there's an outbreak in the Smith Football Performance Center, and then before you know it, we're on the map just like Clemson was and Kansas State and all of that. Because at the end of the day, Carp, it's money talks. And the second you shut down your organization and every other school around you doesn't, and they are able to get by with minimal, um, you know, guys coming up sick, they're going to be infinitely, you know, just leaps and bounds ahead of where you are as far as the upcoming season. You're going to be that much far behind them as far as the upcoming seasons go. Because, you know, at the end of the day, and this is not me saying that I support any of these guys out there practicing or not nothing against them they're out there because they have the sense that they should be out there and i have i've said a hundred times i understand that they shouldn't have the ability to go out there they shouldn't be uh, afforded the the uh, the choice it should be taken away from them by the people higher up so that they're not tempted to go out there and be practicing these quote-unquote voluntary workouts but um yeah when you have these uh you know one program you know like you said a coach or an ad with a conscience you know shutting it down that's not going to happen because they're thinking about the bottom line for themselves they're thinking about the kind of money that they're going to lose if they don't have a season coming up if they you know have a bad season coming up and lovey smith's out of a job at the end of the day because he shut down stuff right now um and then what i was going back on saying these guys coming out here and still practicing is even though we've seen all these college players getting sick getting you know 10 people here, 30 people here, 20 people here. They're still young kids, and I don't think one college athlete has died yet because of this. So that also might be another way that some of these coaches and some of these ADs are looking at it is they'll get it out of their system, and then they'll be right back to where they are. And if every other school is going through that, then we just have to kind of keep up the pace with them. That's why I think that it should be the case where, like, the uh, the leader of the NCAA or the leader of, um, of the Big Ten comes out and says, no football this year. That way you take 
the choice out of everyone's um, every coach, every eighties hands, guys who are all just kind of, you know, what, what was it in a world war, the cold war, a fear of imminent destruction or um, uh, it was mutually assured destruction, mutually assured destruction. Yeah. yeah. No one wants to be the first one to blink because they know the second that they do, they're going to be done for the upcoming season. If the other people actually do keep, going on and there is a season that is had. So that, that's why I think that the choice should be taken away from everyone because I think that no one, first of all, is going to complain because I think there is a sense out there that if, if you have a, um, if you have the opportunity to shut things down and it's not your choice, you might have some people kind of put on the facade of, ah, oh, man, it's, that's really tough. But at the end of the day, back of their mind, you're thinking, well, I mean, I really don't have a problem with this based on what's going on right now in the country. It was five days ago that Lovey returned, at least according to the Illinois football account. They had a picture of him arriving. And I, I just remember the first time I saw this, I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And then the s- second thought I had was, well, why wasn't he here before when all the players were here? And Harry and then Trevor, from an optics perspective, and then I guess, Harry, you could actually address, you know, from a locker room culture kind of perspective here, too. You know, you get here two, three weeks ahead of time to start your workouts to get ready for the season. Coaches is in Arizona. And what are the thoughts? I mean, is there anything being spoken? I mean, not that a head coach would necessarily be there helping spot guys during their bench press or anything, but it just seems like that absence, especially in the midst of this uncertainty, you should at least be in your office individually talking to your players if we are asking them, in fact, to do this. Well, for me, it's more so the the point of view. It, I'm not having any kind of hard feelings against the coaching staff, against the um, against Lovey and the guys that are more high risk. Um, you know, the older coaches that maybe don't feel comfortable coming back. The reason I said it was a joke stemmed more from the reason that I'm kind of grouping in the coaching staff, Lovey Smith, these guys, with the rest of the student population who's also being told to either not come back or come back later yeah. while it's still okay to have these these uh, the athletes come back way early when people are still in the midst of this pandemic that's why i kind of, that's why i said before that it was a joke was because yeah he's coming back now in the middle of a regular off season the middle of a regular regular summer these guys are going to be out on the recruiting trail you usually don't see your head coach that much at all your position coach that much at all maybe once a month uh, in June okay. and July towards, and that's towards the end of the month when they start coming in, you start having maybe like a 20 minute little session at the end of a, uh, at the end of a, of a workout where they're out there doing specialized drills with you. So it's not out of the ordinary to not see these guys. Um, but, but you know, the, so that's why it's also not a big deal that they're coming back um, later. Now it's more so the fact that why, why was it okay in the first place for the other players to come back as early as they did? If, if, you know, and, and like I'm, 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 I'm talking in circles, I really am because, you know, you're not saying it's okay for everyone else to come on out. How is it any different for these guys who are, when they're back on campus with other guys and on the team and with other people that are still going to be there for whether it be summer school or anything, or people that are just living there, what makes you think they're not going to go out and drink with their friends, not going to socialize? They are so much, the, the argument of, well, you know, you know where they are if they're on college campus. You know how you can kind of contain them in, in that little mini bubble in Champaign or, or uh, Manhattan, Kansas, or wherever you are with your with your college program, um, as opposed to, you know, keeping these people at home. No, it's, it's safer for them to stay at home because if you're staying at home with your family, you're probably in all likelihood just going to stay there because your parents don't want you going out and getting <laughs> sick. 
anyone who thinks a college <laughs> campus is a more controlled or safe environment than your parents' basement is just wrong. It's a lunatic! <laughs> and Trevor, to that point, there is a ordinance, and Harry, this just came down in Champaign-Urbana, or at least the Champagne bars, are now 21 plus after 9 o'clock. And at first you think, well, okay, that takes the numbers down a little bit. Maybe they'll control things. Well, essentially, the argument that Champagne for a long time had in putting 19 and 20-year-olds in the bar was that it would be a more controlled environment instead of house parties where there is a complete lack of control. And Trevor, I, there's just no way around this. Going further from football and now just to a campus opening back up, 40,000 students moving back in. Let's say even conservatively that half of them enjoy socializing. Okay, then all of a sudden we got 20,000 people interacting in a way that during a pandemic is probably not the way one should be acting. So it just seems to me right. as a resident of Champaign-Urbana, it's not like I want to say stay the hell away, but it's also, okay, uh, I'm waiting for the inevitable uptick when they do get no, back. I, I don't mind saying stay the hell away. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the, the pie chart of kids from an international place are too, but I mean, we have plenty of international students from all over. I don't even know if they're going to be allowed to come, but if they are, they want to, if they could, this isn't like, I'm not being racist or anything, but do you really want 10,000 kids coming from China right now? But would the China, but well, this would have, that would have made more sense a few months ago. Now it's a question. If you're a Chinese student, would you really want to go to America right now? You're right. It's flipped. It definitely is flipped. But yeah, no, as, as a, like you said, as a resident of this town, I don't feel great about thinking about a, an influx of 40,000 people into this community from all over. It's just, it's impossible to control. There's so many, uh, there's so many different diversions and paths and things to think about that it's, it's just, it's crazy. Like, you know, they said students could wear a mask. Okay, that's fine. What about the professor who's 80? <laughs> Does he come to class? Because he's high risk. Yeah. Does he not? Does he know how to work Zoom? I mean, he's 80. You know, and, and there's just so many different things to think. What about the janitor for Lincoln Hall? Is he old? He's got to clean up and sanitize after all the students every night because someone has to do it. Like, there's just so many different things to think about. Like, and to your point, frat parties, even if there aren't any frat parties, they're going to find another way. You're just plugging one hole in the boat and letting another one spring free. They're just going to go out over to somebody's house, which is actually going to be smaller than a frat house. So there's going to be more people in an even smaller area. It's just, it's just such a can of worms. There is a University of Illinois professor that last week came out with a study or he basically ran a model. And I understand that models have not always been the most accurate during this pandemic because it is hard to account for behaviors and all that, a bunch of other variables. But this model suggested that with a college football season, anywhere between three and seven college football players would die. And he said specifically related to football activities. So not just because three to seven guys would die, just because their normal day-to-day routine. No, this was directly related to the practices and the games on the field. Now, I'm thinking, this is the scary thing, is some people have already responded, well, you know, let's say you lose one. Stop it. (laughs) I just don't know. This is acknowledging that there is inherently risk in anything you do. There is. There have been guys that, if not died on the football field, have gotten paralyzed from it. So by its nature, it's a dangerous sport. There is risk. But it seems to me that it would be an awful look and, and in some ways an irreversible damage to college athletics if a student athlete dies as a direct result of contracting it on a field or on a court and the people that could have said, wait a second, we're just going to wait until spring of 2021. Instead, they elected to proceed because, like Harry, you said, money. 
I mean, that if, if money were not a factor, could, would we all agree that if money were not the driving factor here, there would not be sports, or I should say, at a minimum, college sports in the fall? Yeah, it, for sure. I mean, that's it. why else are they bringing these kids out here um, and, and trying to still portray the image of um, – well, they're basically destroying the argument of, of amateurism by bringing these people out here, and it's because it's 100 percent it has to do with money. Trevor, I don't know if you had anything to add to that or not, but we could. Well, and to the point of amateurism, that's what Matter Bebe hit on with his tweet, yeah. right? Where where he essentially said, you know, there's going to have to be, and this is the difference between college and pro. And I'm not saying I don't feel bad for a Freddie Freeman who's been knocked off his feet by coronavirus, reportedly, or people like that. But as a pro, you are protected in a way that you just simply aren't as a college athlete. As a pro, you know, you've got your players' association. You at least feel like. Even if something bad happens to you, you know what you signed up for when you agreed to whatever. You're not really signing up for anything as the college player. You're being told, as Harry has said many times, this ridiculous, you could stay away, dot, 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 dot. And it's basically like you need to come, even if it's not technically mandatory, it basically is. And so that's one of the, the major differences and the major problems between, and I don't know what the, what the solution is, but I, maybe they unionize, whatever. But that's one of the major differences and problems in a situation like this between college and professional. Yeah, I have no moral, I don't say no moral dilemma. I have fewer moral dilemmas watching professional sports than college. And this goes back to the NCAA whenever they try to craft an ad showing, and you guys will remember the one with the kid, their typical day in the life of a student athlete. He wakes up at six, he's ready to go, he goes to practice, goes to class, and then it's Midnight and he goes to sleep again. He's like, ah, I love being a student athlete, you know. And I think no, no, no. It's 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 more so he lays down on his bed and it's it's more of a whoa, you know. I take a deep breath. Whoa, that was a tough day. Get ready to do it again tomorrow. Like it's that easy. Like he wouldn't be (laughs) bedridden for the next like eight hours if he had the choice, but instead has to wake up in five to go do it again. So. The moral dilemma that I have here and that Josh Amaterbebe is getting to, and just uh, for clarification, the tweet reads, there needs to be an NCAA Players Association. We have absolutely no representation when it comes to decision-making. And this was, I forget the Northwestern player. It wasn't Clayton Thorson. There was a Northwestern football player that maybe five, six years ago kind of introduced this idea in earnest, and the name again is escaping me. But regardless, it does seem like the pandemic has opened obviously opened our eyes to a lot of different inequities going on, not the least of which is college sports. And it is maddening to me that it seems like, you know, the argument is right there that these players lack the ability to speak out. They lack the ability to uh, have any representation in terms of, or, or compensation for that matter. And that the NCAA is being kind of revealed as this archaic dinosaur that it really is that for so long people just watch these games and generally didn't even think about the inequities going on with it. And now people are, and I wonder what the long-term impact on the NCAA would be. I would, I would venture to say that within five years, there will be some sort of players union or representation. And, and it just seems the way things tend to accelerate nowadays that, that, it, that needs to happen. Uh, otherwise college sports in general are just going to become even tougher to defend in terms of the moral aspect of it. It was Kane Coulter, by the way. There we go. Thank you. I, I do think it's tough for a, a players, like a player union to come about. I'm, I would be for it. 
you know, as a former player myself, I just see with the way that the NCAA functions right now, the last thing they want to do is have any kind of a semblance of calling these, um, calling these players out there, anything aside from, you know, athletes who or no students who play football basically as an extracurricular activity. Cause that's what they treat it like, even though, you know, I can't really think of many 35 hour to 40 hour a week things I just do willy nilly because I just love doing it. No, you're doing <laughs> it out there because I mean, a lot of it does have to do with the love of the game, but a lot of it also has to do because it's a way to put yourself through college and it's a way to, um, to help yourself out once you, um, once you go about in the world afterwards. I mean, I, I've gotten some opportunities that I wouldn't have had if I didn't play uh, football at the university of Illinois. That's just the fact of the matter. Um, so, so I think that if it's up to the NCAA, there's no way that's going to happen. There's no way they're going to allow that to happen. That's why it would have to, there would have to be some kind of external force, some kind of like outside driving factor that would help a player's union develop. I think it would probably have to start on like the, um, on like the team level, like, and, and maybe even some teams have some kind of like a little bit of a, a player like student council, but I'm not even sure how serious those things are. So it might have to be starting a little bit bigger than that, whether it be on a state level, you know, you know, all, all D1 teams in Illinois can, you know, have players that kind of, you know, have representation. Maybe it would be by a conference level, but until, until there's an outside factor telling the NCAA, they need to allow that to happen. I don't see how, how it's going to get anywhere. I honestly feel like it might be, I feel like the more uh, foreseeable path to something like that happening would almost be the disbandment of the NCAA more so than them coming up with the players union. Does that make sense? Yeah, that might be more likely. In the sense that I, I know they've talked about it before, like the power five conferences just form their own thing because they're sick of the NCAA's crap. And maybe hopefully if they were forming their own more, uh, understanding and, and, and liberal thing, then maybe they would they would be more willing to treat players like associates than than students. It's just it's a tricky uh, thing because I, I believe if I'm correct, the Kane Coulter Northwestern thing came from some lawyer ruling that D1 athletes in the state of Illinois could get. I think it was like workers comp if they got injured, right? It was something along something those along those. Yeah, there was a workers comp component to it. I believe like. Coulter broke his leg or something and he was out for the year and then there was something about he could apply for workers comp for that and so that's what kind of stemmed that argument and so I, I don't you know I'm not into the legal jujitsu stuff at all this is just a bunch of jargon but it it, it it feels like something needs to happen at some point soon and you're going to laugh at this but it feels like the video game aspect of this is a driving force too right where people really want NCAA football back and there's been a lot of talk about getting compensated and I know that's separate from the players union side of things but I just mean it feels like there's a lot of external forces that are pointing towards the players doing something no matter what that ends up being well whatever movement is going on you need to win hearts and minds and even if you do it through a football video game that's still something so someone that might have been on the fence or indifferent to that topic, if you say, listen, you're going to get your college football game back, then all of a sudden they're thinking, oh, yeah, I'm on board. And before yeah. you know it, the, the Q rating behind the what players unionize movement is at 70 percent and most people support it. it. It is remarkable to me, these conversations that we're having right now. We'd have them briefly five years ago, 10 years ago. 
And it was usually the same sort of things thrown from each side. And for those that said, well, uh, they don't, they shouldn't unionize because they're getting a free education. Well, we're starting to see that the arguments, I think, that were on the side of, hey, players should just be happy for what they got. Those are the same tired kind of cliche things being thrown out when in actuality, you just look at the numbers alone and what the NCAA brings in as a so-called not-for-profit, even though we know better than that. And the fact that this money is being divvied up amongst a bunch of corporate guys at the offices in Indy. Uh, with all the you know three to four to five million dollar contracts for head coaches, it just seems like that gap is getting wider and wider. Where all of a sudden a twenty thousand dollar a year education, and I know that's on the low end, is simply not cutting it when you look at the money. So I I just find as if we're we're seeing adults and specifically athletic directors and head coaches act as if it's business as usual. And even here at Illinois to an extent, and I get it from a money perspective, but it's sad that this whole institution of college sports is so transparently built on the backs of 18 to 22 year old athletes that God forbid they don't play one season because then they're screwed. And that, that just tells you everything. What have they been doing with these profits this entire time? Where did all this money go over the last 20, 30 years with the ABC, ESPN, CBS, March Madness contracts? Where did that go where they can't stand postponing football until the spring? What the hell did they do with it? It's the same thing with the owners in MLB as in anything else. It's like, you know, the family's owned the team for 60 years. They've made billions on billions. And the mere thought of 60 games instead of 160 (laughs) is like... It's going to destroy the entire legacy and the entire financial ruin of the team. And it's like, how badly have you mismanaged your money? I mean, I I feel like, and I can't speak for everybody, and I know I'm more fortunate than some, but I feel like if someone told me I would miss one paycheck, for instance, because that's metaphorically what it would be for an MLB owner to miss a year. If someone told me I was not going to get a paycheck for two weeks, I would be okay. I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't be able to do any extracurricular stuff other than like the grocery run, but I would not sit there and say that I am never, ever going to be able to recover from this. You know what I mean? It makes you wonder what happened to their rainy day fund. And I say they, right? Exactly. I'm talking yeah. like power five institutions and in the big 10. And I wish I could cite the article, but there was one that had said Ohio state and Michigan are essentially the only two that could withstand not having football in the fall without massive layoffs or cuts of different programs. And I'm thinking, again, what have you all done when you were gifted $50 million a year each from the Big Ten Network? Just like that, right off the top. And, you you know, I understand this goes beyond. That's a good question. But I think (laughs) I think they're doing a fine job. I think it goes down to these athletic departments. And I understand you, you essentially have what two sports that revenue you got football, you got men's basketball. And that's it. Everything else is in the red. So it, it is not an easy thing to balance a budget sheet for something like that. But I guess I'm speaking more in larger terms of the NCAA at the very top where you get these stories about, you know, let's say the guys that run bowl games, how lucrative those deals are and the money that's just exchanging hands and the TV deals and everything. And yet it's just, well, wait a second. How are you telling me? And I'm supposed to believe that this can't be postponed until February, March 2021. And and here's the thing, too, and I don't know about you guys, but I am getting to the point, I want baseball back. I got a Yankees shirt on right now. I'm excited for that, but they're professionals, so I don't have that moral dilemma when I watch a professional game, even during a pandemic. I don't think I will. But for college sports, I'm almost thinking, just wait. I, 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 don't, I don't really care to see 
Illinois, Connecticut, watch it on TV while there's 8,000 socially distanced fans inside a Memorial Stadium. And it just, let's not half-ass this and put people in danger. I'm with you. I said this weeks ago on, on Twitter. I said, why? Like, I understand there's money to be made, and I understand there's careers to be made by having a good college season. But in my opinion, and I'm just as desperate for sports as anyone else, I, you know, I make my paycheck by advertising, so I clearly want people to be out there. I want things to be open. But in my opinion, we have gotten to a point in this specific context of college sports and sports in general where I wonder whether or not it's worth it, period. Like, it's so complicated. It's like through door one, there's one step, and it's wait till next year. And through door two, there's 5,632 steps. <laughs> And we're like 12 steps into that 5,000 whatever steps. And we've already had missteps. And it's like, is is this worth it? Is it, Harry? See, the thing that I'm thinking is, um, I'm going back to what you were saying with, with the money. Um, in that, can they stand to lose, um, you know, what would happen if these, if these football teams, in specific, because I think most of the focus is on football because – at most schools, that's going to be the driving revenue force. I think even at like a lot of schools where basketball gets, um, you know, draws a bigger crowd, usually the football team is going still? to be the one that brings more money. I think Illinois football still makes more than basketball, and I'd have to look that up. But I know in most years it has. I mean, I think even on a year, this might be extreme, but I think on a year where, say, North Carolina makes the ACC championship game and they're selling out their stadium, it might be close. I mean – but that's that's another extreme example. Um, but see, the, the the thing with that is, you think about well, where does all the money where does all the money go? And I mean, while these kids aren't getting maybe you know not maybe they're not getting the proper co- uh, compensation what they're getting, they're still getting you know a hundred scholarships for the most part, maybe 80, 90 scholarships out there. You got to think about how much it costs to get these people to um to a game. You got to think about you know hotel costs, everything that has to do with travel, airfare. Uh, that's just for away games. Then on home games, when they have to stay at the, those uh, same hotels, feeding all these kids, that's not cheap. Um, the, the kind of advertising, the kind of paying all the people in the stadium, um, running the utilities and all that stuff for the stadium. I mean, a lot of money goes into, um, you know, what a st- what like how you operate on a season. Um, so the, the only thing I think of then is like, is that canceled out by the money? And obviously it is, it is for a lot, you know, it's, it's canceled out by the money that you get from these other, um, you know, like the TV deals and, and from ticket stands. Um, so, like, you just got to ask yourself how much of this is canceled out and how much does it make it so that you would or would not be able to withstand a season not happening. And that's where, for me personally, I, I just don't know. I don't know where the money kind of stands in those regards. So that's where I might have a little bit more leniency looking at it and saying, I could understand the argument that they do use most of this money that they get from these TV deals on things like needs and, and not just stuff that is pocketed. That is akin to how restaurants and bars, they will, especially in the big cities where they haven't really opened up indoor dining, New York, I think is still not allowing it. Chicago, very limited if that, and how these restaurants have to make that decision. Yeah, we could open up, but if we do technically we're just losing money each day. Because if we aren't filling each and every table and if we aren't selling X amount of of hamburgers, then we are in the red every day and we might as well just wait. And there's even places in Champaign-Urbana, There's uh, you guys might remember Cactus Grill, and they're finally going to open up tomorrow. But in his mind, I'm sure it was, well, what's the point? 
I'm just going to sit and wait because I'm losing less money by doing that. So it, it does seem... I love that place, by the way. It's that amazing. food is fantastic. I cannot wait to get it. But I, I, I like burritos as much as the next person, but to me, they're all the same. <laughs> they all just taste the same. It's hard to screw up a burrito. Yeah, but he's got this honey-grilled chicken that is... Whew. Yeah, it's it's top-notch. But, but yeah, I mean, we don't know the official numbers. There might be a way to look it up for some of these public institutions. And it, it, it is just simply a case, of, at least for the Big Ten schools, that if they play the games, I think it's about $50 million that each school gets. You take that away, and I understand, you know, I, I went through that kind of rant about, okay, where did all the money go? And that, that's more of a macro NCAA question. But when it does come to each individual athletic department, $50 million is $50 million. The, the real-life effects of this will be people losing jobs in these athletic departments. It will be the loss of some non-revenue sports. And it's already happened at some smaller schools. We're seeing, uh, I forget if it was an Ivy League school or not, but just earlier this week, someone had to cut their women's golf and their men's gymnastics. And we're going to see a lot more of that. But that, that all said, we are talking the difference between jobs and money versus, you know, as an educator myself, I'm thinking about how we're going to open up in August and I would hope that the decisions being made, the top of the list, and you'd have to go down like another 99 spots to find even the next most important thing would be safety and well-being of the students. And I don't really think that that should change just because these are 18 to 22-year-old young adults, that they get a scholarship to play football or basketball. It seems like the formula has been... Uh, conveniently changed so we can try to convince ourselves that, yeah, yeah, bring them back, let them do what they got to do. And uh, they're, they're young kids, so in all likelihood, they'll be fine. I get that they likely will be, but there is the risk of community spread. There's the risk of a student athlete dying. And at that point, good luck NCAA trying to come back from that. I, I don't, And the liability issue, which I know that these players are signing waivers or pledges and different things like that, but I got to think that the lawyer could look at that and say, all right, if this kid gets deathly sick or his lungs are just screwed after COVID ravages his body, there's going to be some sort of compensation coming that kid's way. So I, I don't know. They already did, didn't they? I thought they ruled this week that you can't force them to sign a waiver. Um, That may be. And I know that I, I don't know necessarily the language. I think it was like an Ohio State player tweeted out some part of the waiver that was just it was like absurd. Like if you have a sniffle in your nose, you can't complain or, you know, something ridiculous like that. And then some lawyer came out and said that, that they're going to rule that you can't, at least for Ohio state, you can't force them to sign a waiver. The Player Buckeye waiver pledge is what they were calling it. The Buckeye yeah. pledge. Yep. I need to look this up. Not to die. <laughs> <laughs> Why is death? Though? And I don't, I, I really, guys, I seriously don't want to get too political here. I'm just so tired of talking about it. But why is death like the ultimate mark? Anyways, Freddie Freeman said he can't breathe right now. Rudy Gobert said he may never smell again. Like, why Why is death like, well, he didn't die. Okay, what if you have reduced lung capacity and you can never smell again? Is that not bad? No, we, we have sort of, to your point, Trevor, there's 130,000 dead or whatever. Somehow, and this is what's amazing. I, I think there's an old saying that one death has a lot more of an impact than a thousand deaths. And the reason they say that is because that, that one death uh, will affect a bunch of people. But if you're just average Joe looking at the evening news and you see a thousand people died today and you didn't know any of them, then it's, oh, well, that's too bad. And you just kind of move Joker on. Joker said that, right? In the dark night, he was like, what if one little old lady dies versus a truck full of soldiers or something like that? 
Okay, yeah. No, I think you're right. And it, it, it makes sense because I catch myself in that same dilemma where I'm not emoting even if the nightly news tells me that there was another, you know, 700 people that died today from COVID-19. But that does seem to be the sort of forgotten part of it is that this is doing quite a number on people's health. So if we got 130,000 people dead, there's at least that many more people that will have health issues in some way, shape or form for the rest of their lives. And some of those are even a little bit younger, right? Yeah, the older you get. Go ahead, Trevor. We don't know because, well, this is novel, as everyone's been pointing out. We don't even know the long-term effects of this. I mean- my generation, we could find out in 60 years when we're suddenly all dying at 70 instead of 90 that this did have some kind of a long-term effect. And I'm not saying there's any way to figure that out now. I just don't know why a large sector of America seems to be totally fine with what's going on as long as they themselves or someone they know is not literally dead. Well, that just, that just kind of goes back to, I mean, that's just human nature. I mean, it's the same thing with any disease that's out there. I mean, we all know COVID's bad. We all know that, you know, cancer's bad. We all know that these things are bad, but if they don't happen to someone that is, you know, directly related to us, it's hard to, like you guys said, it's hard to emote. It's just that, in that regard, I I just think that's human nature. It is, and it doesn't excuse it necessarily, but it is alarming when you think about how it's as if America just kind of accepted, we're just going to, kind of ride this thing out and that'd be fine i guess if there was some larger plan that hey guys we're going for herd immunity so we're going to have like chicken pox parties and everyone's going to get this and we're going to get to 60 percent immunity though again trevor to your point it's a novel virus so we don't even know how long these antibodies last we don't know uh the the point of the buckeye pledge it was decided and you said this trevor that on july 1st the a judge came out and said that this will not be able to be used as a liability waiver. So it's basically just a stupid piece of paper. And I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Days of Confused. Have you seen that? No. Well, I recommend it. I know the song. Well, that great song, but the movie is about this high school in Texas in the 70s, and this the main character refuses to sign a pledge for his football team the following fall that says he's not going to drink, he's not going to smoke, and all that. So... What have we said before? The word voluntary, Harry, we said you could wipe your butt with it. I think that the Buckeye Pledge, you could probably do the same. (laughs) And the same goes for a lot of these other things. It it will, as I sit here a month ago, I would have said there's absolutely college football. As I sit here now, I'm just thinking, Trevor, it's the 5,629 steps compared to one. And it just seems like that is a steep mountain to climb and eventually – the decision will be made probably by governors before the NCAA has the balls to do anything about it. My, my point is simply to summarize. We don't know. No one knows. Okay. I don't care if you're Fauci, whoever, no one knows everything about this. No one knows what kind of long lasting effect it can have. And I'm not saying hide forever, but I'm just saying that I don't understand the jump to return to normalcy this quickly for something that let's be honest in the grand scheme of things, is not that important in terms of entertainment and sports. I just don't, I don't understand why you wouldn't play it safe. That's just my overall point is why why not err on the side of caution? And I know the answer is money and all that. I'm just saying all else being equal. (laughs) (laughs) I can hear Harry seething. Yep. But all else being equal, I just err on the side of caution because we don't know. It's like you're standing at the beginning of a dark tunnel. I'm telling you to go down it. There may or may not be a dragon that's going to eat you at the end of the tunnel. And you're like, if you're the NCAA, it's like, yeah, well, there might be five bucks at the end of the tunnel, so I'm just going to go ahead and head down there. You know what's also, you know what also sucks, is that for the people that did this thing right for the first two months, 
I, it's not like I was trying to do the right thing. And my primary motivator was, you know, if I do this, then Illinois basketball will be back in November and football. Sure. Whatever. They'll be back in August. It's not as if that was the driving force, but it certainly was in my mind that, okay, if we just suck it up for two months, we can get back there just like Europe has been able to do. Essentially opening back up their opening their economy with you, know, you got to wear masks in public spaces and all that, but they can do normal things and they're finishing up an English Premier League season and all that. And we didn't. We screwed it up. And I say we and it's really twofold. It's the fact that you have a lot of just asshole selfish jerks that find any minor convenience. They try to turn this into some like top, you know, conversation about freedom or some bull crap like that. And then also, this shows that when you don't have leadership or messaging that says, hey, everybody, here's what we got to do. And if we do this for two months, if we do this for two months, you're going to have a great summer. We're going to be able to hang out with family again without worrying about corona. We screwed it up. And now we're, we're, the, the, good, we're the good kid in class who's getting to sit in attention because the one guy in the corner is being a, a jerk. Yeah, you're right. And it's, it's, it's maddening at this point. I was gonna say the ones having to do suicides because one kid didn't show up to his uh, yep. one class on time because he just came from across campus or from his uh, workout that was from eight thirty until ten thirty. That sounds like that actually happened, Harry. What? No, of course not. No, okay. they don't. They don't put us in time crunches. What are you talking about? Oh uh, yes, of course. We would never do that. No, but so yeah. are we counting? Down? Go ahead, Harry. Uh, yeah, either one of you guys kind of got into the point because I'll be completely transparent. Yeah. Um, this was one of the things, and, and Trevor can, can can vouch for this. When this first started happening back in March-ish, um, I was, I'll, I'll say it, I was one of the ones who was saying, what are, we, what are we doing? Why are we shutting everything down? This is basically just, you know, I was saying this is the flu. Why is everyone freaking out? Um, then, of course, time passes by. You see that's not the case. You kind of get a little bit more informed. Are either one of you guys at the point right now where you just basically are saying, like, if we just put it out there that no sports are going to happen for a year, just tell me that now. Stop telling mm-hmm. me about bubbles and this stuff that could happen or could not. And just tell me that a year from now, sports will come back. I would 100% take that. You know, fans and all or whatever it would be. Just if, if you could tell me that we are, are done with this, you know, guessing game of when will this happen? If we can kind of go to a point where everyone just kind of agrees to because it's, it's, it's a compromise. You know, I'm not saying that that anyone needs to, you know, do what we were doing for the first couple of weeks of this where you don't leave your house. And it's basically on lockdown because I feel like that's a that's a way to make the entire country stir crazy. But at the same time, other end of the spectrum, don't go out and like Trevor, you've said this a million times. Why is there like a hundred people in a pool that's suited for twenty people drinking and rubbing up against each other? We don't need that either. Like there is definitely a wide margin where you can go out to dinner, stay away from people that you don't know, and stay away from people that um, you, know, you know socially distance yourself from other people, and still have a good time without you know it's. I don't understand the jump back to full bore when there's a way to do it. Full bore. That's the thing. Full bore plus people wanting to make a statement. I mean, it's an overcompensation. Correct. Yes. Yes, exactly. I mean, when, when the gyms opened back up, I went there and I didn't like the fact that maybe they had some of these restrictions you couldn't do, but you know what? I'm doing them because that's what I can get. That's what I can get for now. And people just, I feel like people have to accept the fact that 
this isn't something that people are doing to impinge on your freedoms. It's not something like, well, this is the way it is now and forever. The grocery stores aren't going to always have a line out the door. That's how it is now. That's how it is for the foreseeable future. It's not going to be the case in like a year if you do things correctly. If. And, and Harry, to your point, what I have been really disappointed by, and at the end of the day, the majority of people are still doing the right thing, but unfortunately that's not enough because clearly the cases are, there's not even a second wave. We never really got rid of the first wave anyway. We're just, we're writing this, we're writing this out and it is so frustrating to see so many people that these, let's call them what they are, minor inconveniences. The, the things that they're being asked to do are not life or death. When I continue to hear stories about people I know and that that are just you know so staunchly against mask wearing, and I'm like, you don't be a douchebag. Put on the mask. You know, don't be an ass. And, and the lack of humility is what really drives me crazy because it is a situation where we don't know at the end of the day the extent to which this can really mess things up and, and Trevor some of those things may be down the road that people find health issues 10 years from now because it's a novel virus and we don't know what impact it really does have on our bodies but just the lack of humility and the people that puff their chest out and say hey you know if I get it I get it whatever it, it, it's just disheartening is the only word I can think of because I think most people are compassionate but unfortunately I think that a lot of people are only compassionate for those in their immediate circle and have very little dis- have very little regard for those that are outside of that circle. So they begin to act selfishly, and unfortunately, that's even probably affecting people inside of their own inner circles. But they are too uh, bullheaded or uh, too, too much of a jerk to realize it. I mean, I'm clearly biased. I live with my grandma, as I've told you guys. So I'm, you know, I, I definitely would probably be, and I'm not saying I would go out there without a mask or anything, but I personally would have a slightly higher level of comfort when I come home, if I was living by myself, because I wouldn't be thinking in the back of my head, well, shoot, I might be bringing home something that could, you know, seriously affect her health. Right. And so I'm sure that, you know, someone listening who maybe does live on their own isn't near any relatives. They have a different experience. I mean, I'm not saying that that everyone has to, no one's going to have the same experience with this. But as someone who just generally cares about people, I just don't understand why you wouldn't do it. It's just, it's easy. Like, Someone phrased it this way. They said, what if tomorrow Dr. Fauci and someone else came out and said, we've, we've created a pill that will reduce the effects or the chance you catch corona by 70-some percent? People go nuts. They take it constantly. That's the percentage that a mask reduces. It. And for some reason, we're not thinking about it that way. It's, well, how dare you tell me to put a piece of cloth on my face? Yeah. Well, that's a good little analogy right there. Yeah, also... Go ahead, also, also, really, really quickly, um, you, you said ass douchebag and asshole, so I'm going to say <laughs> ass douchebag and asshole just because I, <laughs> I got the go-ahead. There you go. You got the green light. Uh, Last note before we leave, 100th episode of the 200 level, man. Are we counting down our top 100 moments? <laughs> <laughs> if you got another five hours, sure. I'm trying to think about, you know, because it's difficult with that many episodes to go back and say, well, that, that was my favorite one. Number 98. But <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying to think specifically back to the fall, and I don't know if I enjoyed the the Mondays we'd come here and roast Lovey Smith more or the four-week stretch where they were winning. I'm pretty sure it's the latter. We got yeah. both, though, which is cool, because the past few years we've just gotten one, which has been cathartic, but not as much fun. 
I have two things that pop into my mind. There's definitely more. Um, obviously, I liked the post uh, the post Wisconsin and post Michigan State uh, shows just because you know those were the two of the greatest games I've ever seen. Yeah. But two things. One, the show after Michigan. I think it was just me and you, Carp. Um, we basically is one of those shows where we know we're playing Wisconsin, so we don't even talk about it. And then the last <laughs> thing you said was. All right, Harry, the, uh, you know, we got Wisconsin this week and then there was a pause and I just said, jokingly, I said, yep, a tasty victory. <laughs> Who would have known? <laughs> so, and then of course, of course the other one was just, you know, let's go out there and get Jerry kill. That's, uh, oh, that, that, God. was it Jerry kill? <laughs> Who was it? No, it was Tracy. Quays. Tracy Quays Tracy was your guy. Quays. Let's go. Let's get him. Let's get him boys. <laughs> Harry, come, Harry comes in with this list and I think the top two people on his list or the San Diego State coach who's like 80 and has never Not had a Power Marty? 5 job. <laughs> and, then, and then Tracy Clays. I'm looking at these I, episodes I, from football season. Here are the titles. I did have one really good one, though, is the uh, Mark Rick, which I still That say. was a good one. That was a good one. Here That's the best title, Carl. Okay, so here are the titles for football season. Rude Awakening. As That's in good. Kangaroo. You can't always get what you want. I like that <laughs> Glass case of emotion. Uh, yeah. that was, I've listened to that show a couple times just because I like to hear how low we were. It was so bad. It was over. I yeah. walked out of that stadium. I said, it's over. Like the, they should fire him tomorrow. The 700 Club. That was the yep. Nebraska game. Nebraska, yep. When the Lovey Breaks. That was the Minnesota game. <laughs> That's a good one. Mazed and Confused. This is when we had the Led Zeppelin titles here. Mazed yeah. and Confused. Yeah. Celebration Day. Boiler Maker, which was a Do Your Maker is a Zeppelin song. And then after the Michigan State game, we just called it, well, let's see here. No, no, no. Everything is Awesome was next. That must have been the Rutgers game. And then after the Michigan State game, do you remember that? Might have been. The, it, was it Million Dollar Baby? Million Dollar Baby, yeah. That yeah. might have been the best oh, one. That one's so good. Though I really, I did like Land of Stinkin' uh, after the. <laughs> Northwestern that loss. That was the one where I, I hadn't come up with a good title all year, and then I fired off like five for that one. And that then one was good. That, that was clutch. Finally, on December 21st, after we, we came here after the Bragging Rights game, halfway to Worrytown. <laughs> I remember we had that, and like, Carp, me and you were losing it, and Trevor, you're just sitting there like, What's funny? Why are you guys <laughs> laughing at halfway to worry town? Carb's got these two mantras. One was the seedlings of swagger. And seedlings the other of was swagger. Halfway to worry town. You know what's remarkable is that halfway to worry town, after the Bragg and Rights game, I actually thought, and I thought this for the beginning of the season, that Brad Underwood, where is this going? And then I'm watching the throwback tournament, and I know we didn't get to it, but I actually think the House of Pain is going to make a run here, so we'll be able to talk throwback tournament later this so week, they, too. They did when I did. They look good. The Okay, cool. And it was fun. I mean, Andres Feliz is a, just a bulldog. He's one of the most fun players to watch uh, that I can think of in recent memory. And the, the Mike Dom guy, who kind of looks like Michael Finke's brother, was a stud. He is Michael Finke on super steroids that I just, God, I wish. At, at that point, I, I won't get on a tangent, but at that point, you needed a four so badly, and he just would have been perfect. I know. Where did he end up playing, Mike Dom? South Dakota State. Oh. And we could have had we could have had him or seventh. I don't remember what I don't the scenario either. was. I guess um, you could but... say he would have been dominant. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> also, Malcolm Hill looked good. I mean, no, no surprise, oh, yeah. but he looked great. He's skinny. Yeah, super skinny. Lost thirty pounds because he's on a vegan diet now. 
Can, can I say this real quick? This is something that bothers me as someone whose weight has fluctuated wildly. Why is it that the media kind of pushes this idea of every time they show a basketball player who's lost like 15, 20 pounds, the idea is, yep, now he's in the best shape of his life. Why? Because he's skinnier? Is that the case? Maybe because basketball is such a... Uh, there's aerobic and anaerobic, right? So I mean, that's more of an aerobic game. Where basketball would be aerobic with yeah, aerobic, and then fast breaks are more so anaerobic. Okay, yeah. Um, but but yeah, it's like this idea. I mean, I did some things much much better when I was like 50 pounds heavier than I am right now. Hmm. I'm just so what you're out- telling me is I should just operate and, and go ahead and be fat, and I'd be fine. At, it, You'll be better this- at some things. It sounds like I'm saying that partially because I am, but <laughs> just, just as I mean, a it form. is, it well, is funny up? though. Like, no, I just like Zion Williamson is morbidly obese. If you type him into like BMI, oh, dude, I'm morbidly. You put me into BMI, <laughs> but, I, mean, I no, somehow doubt not that. morbidly obese, but <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's just you look at these guys and it's like, yeah, I understand maybe they have a little body fat, but. I mean, especially when I looked at at, uh, at James Harden, that I mean, it's the the way that he looks now. It's he looks like a twig, and mm-hmm. I'm sure he's in great shape because he's a nat, he's a professional basketball player. But I just don't like the idea. But it's this is just the, the fat man in me coming out saying like, you know, how come you're just saying that now they're in great shape because they're skinnier? Because they could have been in great shape. They Harry, would have been professional athletes if they weren't, you know, in the best shape they were at right then. It is fat shaming. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm allowed Do you guys hear that? Yeah. What? I don't know. It I sounds... I hear everything we say, like... Demonic. Walkie-talkie voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think on that note, we can probably close things out. Harry, I know you got to get to work here, and uh, yes. we will do this more... We'll do this coming up, because I really do think that the next six seven weeks and and the uncertainty is annoying the uncertainty of with everything's annoying but when it comes to college sports we just simply don't know what's going to happen but if if this week coming up is as eventful as last week in terms of players saying things and and really kind of making the news through the things that they tweet or they say uh, we're it's it's like an onion and we're peeling back all these layers one student athlete tweet at a time and it's it's opening up what I think is a pretty interesting discussion, and I think that there is even more levels to come as we kind of go through this before we would even get to a training camp or something like that. But And it's the second week of July. I mean, I feel like I need to stress this again. We're like six weeks away from kickoff. Yeah, it's not far at all. This is not something that's like, well, we'll wait for it to die down. It's not going anywhere in the next six weeks. You know what I don't like is the idea that Memorial Day, two, three weeks after that, we really saw the spike, right? And that after 4th of July, we find ourselves on July 20th. And just like, because of all the 4th of yeah, July it's parties. Two and it's two weeks delayed, right, in terms of the results. Two weeks, yeah, yeah. So, well, be safe, guys. I know this wasn't the most uplifting of conversations, but uh, for 100 no. episodes, we we made it. Whatever. It's a very arbitrary <laughs> number. Can you believe the 138 <laughs> episode spectacular? Like, the thing that blows my mind with Simpsons is you look at an episode like 12 years in, and that one's still from like 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how how old that show is. My goodness. And yet still super thoroughly, relevant. Oh, yeah, totally. But my brain is like thoroughly imprinted in like 2010 to 2015 in terms of thinking about like Inception came out 13 years ago. That's insane. What? <laughs> I feel like it came out three or four years. came out in 2008, right? Or late oh, 2007. What? 
It came out in funny. 2008 because Dark Knight Rises came out in 09. Okay. I think that's right, or 010, or 2010. So then Dark Knight was like what? 2006. Years old. Uh, Dark Knight wow. is 06, summer of 06. Wait, no, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. Let me redo that. Dark Knight was the summer of 08. Inception was okay. 2010. Pretty sure Dark oh, Knight okay. Rises was 2011. So Dark That's Knight is turning 13 later. Okay, got Tenet it. is coming out at some point. And yeah, I'm curious about that one. It looks great, but, you know, depending on what theaters are open, I don't even know if the theaters in town are open yet. Have you checked, Trevor? Well, I know that um, Savoy already declared bankruptcy before any of this even hit, right. right? So I don't know what their status is, but I believe AMC is opening July 15th. Okay. But you have to wear a mask the entire movie. Whatever. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Like Harry was kind of alluding to it. Just until, until we get on the other side of this, that's just one thing. But I got to be honest, like I don't mind wearing the mask because I've started to just take the approach that I'm like Bane and it's just kind of a cool (laughs) thing to do. I don't think it, there's this whole thing that it makes you less manly or something to wear a mask. And I'm like, I don't know, just get a plain black mask. And it looks kind of cool. I don't know. Am I being I mean, sophomoric I about it? I don't, ca- I, I don't care whether or not it makes me look cool because I know that it helps. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I, I, unless you're getting a real weird, you know, like makeshift one, I don't think it looks bad. The only the only time I have a problem with it is, and this this isn't even a problem with it big time. Um, is is um, and, and and I understand they have to do this. I under like I said, I understand the restrictions. The, at the gym, like sometimes when you're about to do something and, yeah. you know, you want to be able to breathe. So I'll pull it down just below my nose so I can breathe out my nose. And nine times out of ten, the people walking around are fine because everyone's doing it. But then you have one staffer there who comes up to you, waits until you're done your exercise with it over, under your nose and says, uh, you, you can't be here if you're not putting it over your nose. I'm like, do, do you see me in between these things putting it over my nose? understanding that that's what you guys want me to do. Give me 10 seconds. Okay. To be able to breathe. Give me I wish that. anyone around here was that thorough. I feel like I go into stores and there's tons of people without masks on and I'm kind of looking around it. Not that I want some poor minimum wage employee to like go up to this guy and, and forcibly. I know it's, it's, it's like, an unfortunate position. I'm looking around really. like, are we going to tell him any, like I was, I went to Chipotle the other day to pick up food. There's three guys in line, you know, getting their food with no masks on. And it's like, man, I know that you can't really, it's a tricky situation for the, like I said, the minimum wage worker. But if I were in that position, I'd be like, oh, oh, you want extra block? And I'd just throw it on the ground. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> don't, get, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'll, I would be 100% fine with them doing that to someone in a place like, you know, a restaurant or a place like a, um, what am I trying to say? Like, like a grocery store. I'm just saying. I hear what in, you're saying though, yeah. In that one instance, in that one instance where I just want 10 seconds to be able to not choke on this thing that is like literally the one thing it's meant to do is make it so your breathing is somewhat impaired. That's, we all cheat for 10 yeah. seconds. Okay. Now, to that point, Harry, I just just literally got a text from a friend and he said, went back to the gym for the first time since this reopened. He said, I walk in, there's 30 plus people, no joke, and I did not see a single mask. And I said, nah, and I left. It's not easy to listen. When I go running outside, I'm not wearing a mask. But if I see someone on the sidewalk, because I'm on campus and there's no one there yet, so it's a ghost town. I could I have the run of it to myself. And but if there's someone on the sidewalk, the same side as me, I either get all the way over, or sometimes I might cross the street or get out into the street and in the bike lane or something like that. 
because I don't have a mask on. So it's just like, I don't want to be the one to get to them and vice versa. And it just, but I, I understand how it'd be tough though to go to a gym and do something super intense and then try to do that with a mask. So it's another thing where it's like, okay, we open up the gyms and Harry, I'm glad you're getting to a gym because I know you like your gym time and it's important that we stay healthy. But it's, uh, you know, again, who knows what the hell's safe anymore? I mean, we know. Do you guys notice? Go ahead, Harry. Well, yeah, and I was just going to say, that's why I am, I mean, I just assumed that that's what was going on with every place that was opening up is that they were making it so that you have to wear these masks. Although I will say, um, Connecticut in specific has been, I mean, I'm not trying to pat myself on, pat myself, pat the state on the back or anything, but they've been really, really good about all this. They were one of the last ones to reopen. Everywhere you go, you got to wear a mask. It's annoying as hell, um, you know, to some extent. But at the end of the day, it's what we should be doing right now. And that's why I see these things with these people in like specifically like Florida or, you know, California where these spikes are. And I just get I just look at it and think, wow, I'm glad that's not the, the case on um, what's going on over here right now. Harry, what is a Connecticut citizen called? Because you got New Yorker, Pennsylvanian, <laughs> Illinoisan. What would be a Connecticut person? Connecticutian? I, I just think people are just like being called New Englanders. Ah, oh, that makes oh. sense. Okay. I mean, yeah. That, you know, that's another thing I, uh, mm, buddy. Okay. The, Let's close the, the on idea, this. The, yeah, we'll end on this, is the idea that I have lived my whole life up until now where I see these um, these Boston fans of any sport because they're good in all of them. And then I just think, you're not a real Boston fan. You're just a front-running bandwagoner. Now I'm here. Now these people have every right to be New England fans, and I still can't stand it because I see them. I just... I'm seeing like Bruins hats in the Walmarts, New yes. England uh, Patriot hats in, in the targets. And I'm just thinking, ah, got, you know, it's the actual local team and I hate it. New England is beautiful, but the sports teams are annoying. Well, it's because they're so good. Yeah. And Cam Newton with the Patriots didn't even talk about that, but that will. Uh, yeah. It's a tough, That's a weird one. Tough three months for Patriots fans there. Really yeah. tough. <laughs> <laughs> well, Harry and Trevor, I appreciate it. Uh, and all all the work you guys have done on the show and back to 93.5. And we'll, we'll do this more regularly as we go through the summer and we get close to a football season that may or may not happen. Uh, but at a minimum, it does appear that we will get some kind of professional sports. I think baseball, overall, the numbers were decent for all the tests that they took. And it looks like NBA basketball is full steam ahead. So we'll have something soon. We have Let's to make end. the real celebration episode some random arbitrary episode like 30 episodes from now. Well, 30, 138, of course. Right. We, we, we go nuts. We have to end the 138 spectacular. What was it? Um, now, with for, for the one thing you all were waiting for, hardcore nudity. <laughs> <laughs> Just play that song in the background. What were the, the 138th spectacular? That was just a clip show, right? It was a clip show with Troy McClure hosting. That's it. right. And then there was also the Simpsons spinoff showcase. And I like that one too. Which one was that? That was where the first segment was Wiggum and Skinner as private detectives together oh, in New Orleans. Yeah, that, yeah that's right. And then, was, yeah. and then there was one where w- weren't the Simpsons like a family of beavers? It was like a variety yeah, show. Yeah. They, what? There was one where weren't oh and Mo Mo person? the love love matic machine or whatever yeah yeah where they said like you know Lisa was replaced and then it was like this teenage girl right 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 okay yeah that was a pretty good one and by the that way a- underrated one I texted you guys about this was a fish called Selma where she marries Troy McClure 
that is a sneaky great. underrated episode from I think season seven. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's unfortunate what happened to um, what Phil Hartman. Yeah. 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 Phil, because he was a great character. He was a great voice in in those early seasons. Boys, I'm in this weird. Oh, go ahead, I'm Trevor. in this weird stuck place with it, where like I've seen every good episode enough times that I kind of want to just randomly venture into season 13 for no reason, but I know it's not going to be that great, so yeah. I don't know what to do. It's tough. I, I go with the classics. There yeah. are some gems. There are some gems, I will say. I mean, like, like there's an episode where Homer becomes a tow truck driver that I genuinely like, and that's, like, from 2007. Okay. Harry, it could you put like together a, a deep cut? Off. Could you put together a deep cut list of newer Simpsons episodes that are okay? Yes. I could do that. I could, I could probably skim up until like 2011 or okay. 2000. If you do like, that, I'll venture. I'll venture into some of those newer ones. Or I say newer, they could be 10 years old. I'll, I'll go from 2010 or no, two, I'll, from season 10. Through, I don't know what year that is. So I'll say like 99 through 2010. I'll, okay. I'll pick out the ones that I genuinely Sweet. like. Sweet. All right. I'll, I'll actually give those a shot. All right, Harry. I've been binging uh, Better Call Saul, by the way, which is amazing. Amazing show. Yeah, so I, I binged all the way up to season four, and now I can't find season five anywhere, so i got to figure out how to watch that one. Uh, do you know anyone with a Comcast account? Because you could download the AMC app. Okay, all right. I'll yeah, and you sign up via Xfinity. I just kind of... I, I Did I blatantly just give away like how you would get free no, TV? No. I mean, I was about to say that I was going to torrent it, so whatever. Okay, whatever all right. Want. Fair enough, fair enough. There you go. There you go. You well, know what you're doing. Boys, enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend. Uh, hot. It's a scorcher. It's hot. It's, it is. It's the it's right type the of heat. AC. It's the humidity. <laughs> it's, it's, not oh a, it's not a dry heat, that's for sure. <laughs> Trevor, Harry. Oh, aren't looking too good. We will talk to you guys soon. Harry, you got one more thing? Oh, that's oh, what that's what the look was for. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, you guys are good. All right. Trevor, Harry, appreciate it, guys. And here's to another hundred episodes. Woohoo. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We should Woo-hoo. end it with a see ya though. Oh yeah. All right, who gets the low? I'll do it. Okay. okay. Trevor, you start whenever. Am I second? Sure. Okay. Oh, Harry froze. Harry froze there. One more time, Trevor. Take it again. (laughs) 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 I think I froze again. You did. You did. (laughs) There was no variance. Third time's the charm, or do we uh, spare the listener? Okay, (laughs) boys. We will see (laughs) you. Trevor Valise, Harry Black, the 200 level episode 100 spectacular. Okay, that was a beast of a podcast. Got to thank, of course, Isaac Ambrose, Steve Breitweiser, Harry Black, Trevor Valise, all the co-hosts past and present of the 200 level. Appreciate everything they've done for this podcast and the camaraderie and friendship that we've built over the years. So thanks to all of them and thanks to all of you for tuning in from maybe episode one for some of you back in 93.5 all the way to episode 100 in the middle of a pandemic with no live sports and you're still listening to this two and a half, three hours into it. Wow. Well, I do appreciate it and I appreciate all the feedback and, and interactions throughout the years and we will keep going with this 
for the foreseeable future. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, thank you to DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com, and they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Also, 4th and Kirby, online at 4thandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200LEVEL, and all year round, you can buy two sh- two T-shirts and get one free. That's 4thandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, brianismyguy.com. Finally, Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners of the 200 level. We will be back later this week. Excited for some of the guests we got coming up. We'll have all those out on our Twitter account at the 200 level. And in the meantime, if you haven't already, go ahead and rate and review us on whatever podcast app you listen to the 200 level, whether that be Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Just give us the five, well, you give us however many stars you want. How's that? You give us what you think is a fair review for the 200 level now that we're 100 episodes in. Take care. Stay cool. We'll see you later this week. It is the 200 level.